0: tiny people when we play with them. Ooh. Ooh. We paint tiny people when we play
1: with them. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Miniatures Monthly. At the and Crowbar, my name is Chris Thurston, and as ever, I am joined by Tom Senior. Hello, hello, Tom. Hello. We're back for a new year. We are. You can believe we've been doing this for two years now? Oh no! I know we're not <laughs> at t- episode twenty-four
2: so, yet, but we, I think we started in January two years ago. God, that's that's probably true. That's I think a, it is true. <laughs> two, uh, two years of hobby, and I guess like we started this podcast about a year after we sort of got into it. Yeah. So three years of hobby, picking it back up. And how what are we gonna do? Are we gonna accelerate? How are we gonna raise the stakes for I think I'm just gonna to continue
1: to paint men a moderate pace and pe- play a reasonable amount of games of warhammer. that sounds fantastic <laughs> i'll tell you the big change is at some point in the next month or so i'm going to finally get a driving license Ooh. Uh, that's my major life change more tournaments um, more which means shopping. yeah well it means a lot of things for my life it means i can go to the shops i can take things to the recycling center more easily but yeah. yes it also means i can drive to warhammer world <laughs> finally i can become the friend with a car who <laughs> can go to events in cardiff Imagine. and so on that's my, uh, uh, major, um, life change. But obviously, you know, huge congratulations to you, Tom, <laughs> for embarking
2: on a far more, uh, important life change because you just got engaged. I did literally days ago as we record this. So I'm, I'm now. Uh, pending husband (laughs) or as i call my my fiance, pending wife she does enjoy good congratulations on your new pending status absolutely and you know relationships can indeed flourish and continue under the throw the hammer of warhammer itself and shows that these things are are not uh, in opposition (laughs) i'm not sure
1: how many people were arguing that they were but i don't know uh, i I would argue i would argue in fact that as you know in in, it helps a great deal to be in a uh, a long-term relationship when you Get back into Warhammer oh, that's in your thirties.
2: True, that's definitely true. Yeah, much to be forgiven. So yeah, there's, there's actually an article in the Guardian about Warhammer um, mm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it was kind of almost the typical kind of snarky mainstream look at it but it was also like there was something slightly warm about it as well like i think they the the, the phrase heroin for the middle class for middle class boys is is uh a yeah reasonable assessment to an extent but also there's still that you still feel that stigma weirdly hanging off it in a way it's weird
1: because um i have met the person who wrote that article uh, yes. a few different times mm. because uh he is a friend of pip's my partner oh yeah. so um and i think i last saw him at pip's birthday party a couple of years ago in mm. london and that that party was definitely full of middle class boys that would subsequently go on to <laughs> get back into Warhammer, including me. So, yeah, you know, ultimately, um, you know, I think the snark is coming from inside the house on this one.
2: <laughs> yeah. Also, I think it may have been a quote from Kieran Gillen and that's a very Kieran thing to say. So, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so you're right. Maybe it's, it's pure self-deprecation and it's actually quite a nice article about, um, GW success and why, mm. why they're doing so well at the moment. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it is because there's, there's, you know, uh,
1: I, and, and in a sense, this is one of the reasons I think that extra congratulations due to you, Tom. Because you know, it, I think we've argued, or I have argued on this podcast before, that the resurgence of miniatures stuff among people of our particular age group is partly because you accept the fact that you may never own a house <laughs> yeah. or be able to afford a wedding, but what you can afford is a lot of plastic friends. Yeah, a lot of plastic. Um, but man. actually, in embarking on the, at the very least, the wedding part of that equation you are throwing off the idea that it you're necessarily married to a storm host now uh, you're also allowed to be married to uh a human person very different relationship
2: <laughs> a very platonic relationship with my stormcast i do love them though. no one was asking about that. <laughs> i definitely didn't ask that tom but thank you for I, specifying I'm Here to clarify <laughs> uh yeah so yeah, good month
1: good yeah very good month um so We'll get on to obviously how our hobby months have been in a bit, but there's also been loads of news. Hmm. So when we last we last recorded one of these podcasts just before Christmas, and since then there's been a, a really big sort of. Uh, I had the experience of obviously doing the previous podcast, um, making a planting my flag in the soil and saying I'm definitely kind of happy with the projects I currently have. Yep. And then weathering a sort of New Year's Open Day set of reveals by Games Workshop where I realised I wanted literally every single thing <laughs> So, announced. oh gosh,
2: there was so much. Um, th- the thing that stood out for me was probably Spite as yeah. an iOS player and the fact that Destruction just sort of daily needed something after... We had Lineage in the Gash last year, so it felt like it was Destruction's turn to get again Right, beings. yeah. I feel like
1: this is something that hasn't fully... I'm trying to think if this has happened yet. So... Broadly speaking, since AOS 2.0 and in the months surrounding it, we've had sort of two sets of precedent for how new AOS things come along. Mm-hmm. We've had entirely new armies like the Idenath Deepkin or the um or the uh, what was I gonna say um Caridon Overlords last year. You know, this is the precedent for an entirely new army. Yes, uh, I'm leaving Stormcast out of this schema. <laughs> because by the way, because I think like Space Marines, the poster faction for a given game kind of has a completely different way of. Being treated, yes, compared to everyone else. Um, but then there was also the precedent for what it looks like when, um, a faction gets updated, like Beasts of Chaos or Legions in a Gash or something like that, where you get like a really good new book. And those are two of the best books they've done recently mm. supplementary kind of accessories and stuff, maybe some terrain, but not like loads of new models. No. Um, and then I think through both Nighthaunt and now Gloomspite Gits, there's been this sort of sense of like what can happen when an existing faction gets put under, the gets given the kind of the real big treatment and suddenly gets kind of massively fleshed out. And I think it's even more notable in the case of Gloomspite Gits, which would have previously been Moon Clan, hmm. well, goblins of all kinds, grots of all kinds, and they're previously night goblins um is because it's such a kind of beloved faction. There's been like one of the most exciting releases in ages I think. Yes. It's like loads of really classic units like fanatics and squigs and things
2: mm. getting kind of like substantially reintroduced. And I really really love the trogoths or trolls as yeah. they used to be. Uh, I, I, probably that they might be the my favorite part of the release because they are like um they're able to do a, a much larger scale and they've kind of mm. rescoped them the 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 proportions are different and they've got like a super giant Trogoth as well who is like a big awesome monster unit giant sized. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, it was a a release of extremely small Creatures and then extremely large creatures, uh, which will look great together on the tabletop. And I love seeing new fanatics as well. And uh, indeed, like a double monster squigs. That's that model's. That that Mangler Squig model is (laughs) genuinely, I think,
1: one of the most impressive models New Games Workshop have done. It's not like if you haven't looked at it closely. Like so, it's two massive squigs jumping over each other, covered in goblins, Mm. and it's basically just held together with thin lengths of chain. Yes, that kind of actually hold up the different parts of the model, and it's. You know, previously I think the most impressive bit of engineering they'd done was the, uh, Eidolon of Mathlan for mm-hmm. the Adnath Deepkin, like the, the big elf god wizard that is only held to the ground by drops of water dripping from his cape. Yeah. Um, but this is genuinely extraordinary because I think the problem with the Eidolon is it's, it's actually quite a static pose despite him looking like a cresting wave. It's still sort of floaty wizard. Yeah. Whereas there's a sort of mad energy to the bouncing squigs that is,
2: unlike anything they've done it's it's those models are so so good there's so many tiny tiny details like little small goblins that you won't spot the first time you look at it you really have to go in close and they're all doing something they're all like you know eating a mushroom Uh, oh we should talk about the wizard models as well the goblet palooza
1: is (laughs) so um i i went through like so i've definitely been through the bit of a sort of journey this month in terms of trying to decide what my next project is going to be and what i'm interested in and how i relate to my shame pal i'll definitely return to it but like one of my two armies when i was a teenage warhammer fantasy player one of the two factions i loved the most were night goblins mm. i had night goblins and skaven yeah and um this made me sort of like i've been all in on chaos mm. am i secretly a night goblin person am i going <laughs> back mm. like you know and that those gobble palooza models which is just it's a box that has like five heroes in it and they must all be taken together i think or you need at least three of them right um, they're really cheap little heroes that basically do one thing and they're so good. They're like, amazing. if I wasn't busy with other projects, I would almost bought that box just to paint them yes. because yep. there's the one that's tripping out <laughs> yeah, on mushrooms and he's so, so good. He's just sat, he's just sat freaking out. And some, I saw someone describe him as looking like a sort of the, the sort of, um, the kind of like ideal image of night bus home from a
2: rave and it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So is, it, it, he's, like, hallucinating, or perhaps not. Like, it's part of the model is his hallucination, which is, I can't remember is, like, a flying... He's, he's fending off a flying mushroom with a half-eaten mushroom. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a, the look of sheer terror on his face, of just, like, this total freak-out mid captured. <laughs> but, like not, like, not, like, not like typical
1: sort of Warhammer battle terror, but a sort of, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I love goblins. Anyone who listens, who's listened to main C&C or mm. our or D&D thing particularly will know that I have a fondness for, like, weird sort of psychedelic goblin stuff yes yeah oh yeah. Uh, it's so good fantastic those, the those the useful. guy the one that's standing on the shoulders of a different goblin and holding a big mask up in order to be scary like the great thing about i think the great thing about goblins and and grots in in, in aos is they are far more expressive naturally hmm. than i think a lot of the factions are like because there's no there's no sort of a desire for them to ever be kind of like seriously cool or kind of martially threatening. Yeah. They they're always like they're kind of like the the sort of the gallery or the chorus of Warhammer, mm. like in a sort of dramatic sense. Like they're there to kind of react to stuff and make fun of the bigger things that are happening. And they've done a really good job of even though they've they set up this army and they are the main focus, there's still so many like like you say, so many little goblins kind of like hidden in the details, just reacting to the things <laughs> that are happening. Yeah. Like the fanatics come with a little goblin who's thrown up <laughs> right. and passed out yeah like um there's something kind of a very sympathetic about them and very relatable mm. but also really funny like there's i don't know there there's some of my favorite models honestly just mm. the way they react to stuff and i think the only other the only other faction that has that kind of like sort of pathos almost like comedy sort of um very morbid pathos about them is skaven mm. um who also have the sort of like they're the grotty little people at the bottom of the world <laughs> reacting to all of these battles between far greater, grander figures than them. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. I love that. Love those models. And I think the the book as well, uh, following in the tradition of the really good recent battle times, like beasts of chaos is like setting a really good precedent for what those army updates might look like mm. where you have like really cool over, so you know, almost um faction spanning abilities but also the ability to
2: create an entirely squig army or create an entirely trogoth army yeah and that kind of thing yeah that's super nice and legions is a little bit like that as well it's like it's binding together a lot of disparate elements almost into one thing that still gives you the options to field odd stuff uh, I'm, i'd love to look closer at the rules and see how fanatics work now and how what the Trogoths are like, because uh, yeah. I, I th- also, I think it's like a good sign that I would buy one of those models just to paint it. I'd, mm. I'd buy a, just a couple of troggoths just to paint them up and try and do some, you know, learn some techniques. Yeah, they sold out super fast. It doesn't surprise me. They're yeah. super good. Those are super nice.
1: Yeah, like I've, I've, I, uh, we'll probably get to it, but I've, I've got Molog's mob for Underworlds, which
2: is the oh, yeah. troggoth and and his mushroom pals. Oh yeah, that's hilarious. And those models are great They're as well. Hilarious. Like, really funny. Yeah. Is it you don't associate? like games workshop miniatures with humor necessarily from the outside unless you, unless you kind of like have collected for ages and mm. understand their universes. So the idea of like, of what those Trogoths or of, you know, the famous example is the, um, the giant kit, the old giant kit, which is still brilliant, uh, comes with a guy who's just a little man running away. Yeah. <laughs> like That That sense of humor is just uh, such an important part of moon clan. Mm. And, and I think and it's, it's a big part of destruction. Thing. I think yeah. it's one of the things that differentiates destruction from
1: chaos to some extent mm. is, you know chaos is much more of a horror thing Mm. whereas even though obviously destruction do horrific things they're not necessarily like as sort of grotesque Hmm. you know what i mean it's not about like um you know there's something kind of like fun and sort of like celebratory Mm. about destruction
2: destruction exuberant aren't they yeah with the exception of perhaps the um the giant the mammoths the the frost uh the beast chloraders. yeah um they've got like a bit of a a, a dark backstory to them and the fact they're escaping this eternal winter which is the most emo thing ever but the models yeah, themselves yeah. are still like full of personality and it. it's well i wouldn't say emo i'd say they're, they're more like a kind of finished metal <laughs> right yeah that's a good good shout um and that has its own sort of fun yeah it does um but they're all fun the destruction faction yeah think, that's really true it.
1: um but yeah and i think um one thing i'm really hoping is i sort of went through this um like um it was a thought process. My first part of the thought process, as I've said, was like, does this mean that I I must buy goblins? Um and then the second part of that thought process for me was, oh, I think this is sets precedent for what an update, for example, to Chaos Undivided might look like. Mm. So I'm pretty convinced at this point, um, although it's not revealed much, that when Dark Oath arrive, they will probably take this form like the new kits the new dark earth kits will probably replace what chaos marauders were like barbarians and right. the old chaos forces yeah you'd expect but they'll sit orders. alongside old slaves to darkness mm. so i'm i'm not actually expecting a dark earth battle tome this year right. i'm expecting a slaves to darkness battle time mm. which includes dark Oath and Everchosen and that kind of thing that makes sense because those that you know there's so much precedent now for an update like that and yep. i'm really excited about that i think that'll be the the next big
2: direction for me mm. um so that, it's like, a bit of a guess but yeah. What kind of models would you expect from them? We've seen the um the Warband the, the sort yeah. of, uh, Dark Oath Warband. Well I'm,
1: I'm taking this partly from the because the AOS rules for that warband were released. Hmm. And I th- I might be getting this wrong but as far as I'm aware Dark Oath isn't a keyword. Right. Which it would be if they were they if they were a faction. Hmm. A Slaves to Darkness is their keyword. Ah, so they yeah, are okay. Slaves to Darkness models like the you know the, this was always the case like the Dark Oath War Queens commandability affects Slaves to Darkness. Right. So you know, when that came out with Malign Portance last year, almost a year ago, um, the thought was, oh, does this mean uh, this is temporary? You know, whatever. But I don't think it was. I don't think it ever was. I mm. think these are slaves to darkness models. Um, I think the kits that are missing. So I think of, you know, I think the old Marauder Infantry basically needs to go. Like that is an old mm. kit. That is as old as like the zombie kit. Right. It yeah. looks rubbish. Yeah. Um, But the Marauder Horsemen are all right. Mm. And most of the other slaves to darkness
2: kits are are all right as well but they appear they can't ride horses in nature sigma so what what like well with the new horse dogs be? yeah it'll be it. dogs because so the there's
1: a, a novel a novella war queen by darius hinks which i may have mentioned mm. i think i mentioned on the last pod but like it does describe a lot of dark oath units mm. so i would expect dog chariots well cool. i think i think they will keep the horses like i think they will keep marauder horsemen mm. because chaos knights like I think the only faction that's still allowed to ride horses is chaos. <laughs> right. And it's because chaos Knights are so iconic. Like yeah. the kind of heavy cavalry yeah. sort of thing. New chaos Knights models would be amazing. I don't think they'll happen. No. Do you think chaos warriors as well, maybe? I don't think so. Because those, so I, I had this thought that, um, and I, I'm biased and I'm biased for a reason that will become apparent. So, you know, last month when I said, I think I'm done with my shame Palm, I'm definitely not going to expand it. Yeah. I bought the Saves of the darkness battle force, Tom.
2: Oh, oh. Oh no!
1: What they're about to change it all? Uh, they're not. They're I really. I, um, so I decided I, I'm going to put this. I'm going to put my. Uh, I have literally put my money where my mouth is. Um, because I actually asked this in Discord, and I I came to my own decision in the end. My th- my thought was, does this battle force, which is chaos warriors, knights, chariots, that kind of thing, does this exist because these models are not about to be updated, but so designers are about to be a thing, yeah? Or does it exist to clear stock because they are about to be updated? Mm. And there isn't actually a lot of precedent for the latter. There's loads of precedent for the former, mm. and so I think that the Chaos Warriors kit will probably be left alone. Mm. I could be wrong about that. That's super old, isn't it? Even older. It's than the not. Zombies. No, it's not. Oh, it's it not? It's, it's, yeah, it's it's not that old. It, like I don't think it's any older than like most of the demon kits that are still in circulation, like the Bloodletters and mm. Pink Horrors and Demonettes, yeah, that kind of thing. Mm. So. I think a lot of the slaves to darkness, like traditional chaos warrior stuff, like the chariots and shrine and things, the demon prince, chaos spawn, mm. all of that. Those kits will probably be left alone because actually a lot of those things hold up. Um, they're about the right size. Like they haven't been, they haven't suffered from scale creep in the way that the other units have because they were always big. Yeah. So I suspect they'll be left alone, but because the big part of that faction that was really dated was the barbarians like the marauders the old Norseker
2: kind oh, of yeah. stuff I remember them. that's the side of it that i suspect is going to get mm. replaced so some hero models a couple of unit boxes so maybe not like the biggest overall not like if moon was massive there are loads and loads of kits um yeah uh cruise kits sorry um so maybe it feels like this will be like could be smaller scale well i, I would argue probably somewhere between daughters of Cain and mm gloomspite are some cool heroes yeah because
1: well, daughters of kane got like three new kits and a hero like yeah you know so mm. i think it'll be something more than that so that in terms of stuff described in the book and and based on the um you know based on the stuff they've announced um with the um with the sort of the stuff implied by the warband you'd sort of expect at least a big infantry unit, a bunch of heroes, including wizards, maybe priests, mm. but also things like dog chariots, because they're explicitly mentioned several times in the books. Right. That makes sense. Maybe and, a sort of altar or something, maybe a kind of scenery piece. That thing. Yeah, maybe, I suspect a scenery piece. I think the war shrine, the chaos war shrine kind of stands in for that. And right. that's still a good kit. Like, there's nothing mm. about that that couldn't be, I don't think they necessarily need a new sort of mobile battle church because hmm. they have one. But yeah, so I'm really excited about that stuff. And I think like... I'm sort of very enthusiastic about moving in a chaos undivided yeah, direction that's... with things. I mean, you, you can presumably be able to work in some Zeech or, call or whatever. Oh yeah. Well, the great well, thing hey? about I don't know what they'll do through the ability but one of the huge things about Safe to is being able to like pick and choose in cool ways from other chaos factions, yeah, so, like yeah. include them as cameos and things, mm, which is really neat. That's really nice. Yeah. yeah. I love
2: that idea. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. Dead into it, but we're still talking about news. So that's, that's more theory than news. Um, so, uh, well, we could talk about the, the new underworlds stuff, I suppose. Yeah. That makes sense. Might as well. Um, so yeah, so, uh, Godsworn Hunt is the, the new, the Dark Oath warband hmm. and Molog's Mob is the new Trogoth warband. And I've played with, um, Godsworn Hunt a couple of times and I played against, um, Molog's Mob. So I could talk about it from that perspective. Yeah, cool. Um, Molog's Mob is horrifying. <laughs> like, To the point where I think, um, I really, I think they're gonna be really interesting in how they shake things up. Mm. I suspect there are, you know, they've one thing they've introduced to Underworlds, which I think is a really positive thing, is a ban list and a restricted cards list. So you can only have five cards from the restricted card list in your deck total. Right. And some Mm. cards are simply banned now. Okay um and that is necessary and i think uh playing with some friends it became immediately obvious like some things are probably going to end up on one of those two lists quite quickly from the new sets yeah yeah. particularly when it comes to molog's mob because molog's mob changes a lot of things about the game so the way that warband works is you have molog the Trogoth, who is far and away the best fighter in underworlds now Mm. seven wounds really easy inspire condition can do up to can relatively easy get to the position where he's doing six damage on an attack. Um, in an AOE, he can charge twice in a turn. Like he's very mobile despite being huge. He has a ranged attack. Like Mm. there's not a lot he can't do and he support, but he's supported by basically, um, sort of tactically sort of useful, but not particularly fightily mushrooms, basically a flying squig. A, a stalag mushroom that can be placed wherever you like, um, and, a, and a sort of squig mushroom thing that's always exploding. Hmm. And those are used very sort of sparingly, and mostly to kind of like generate uh, dory points to upgrade Moloch. Right. Um, when I um, played against Moloch's mob with Godsworn for the first time, it was probably it was funny. But it was the most one-sided AOS I have, oh sorry, um, underworlds I have ever seen. Right. But like the way I think about Moloch's mob is imagine, um, the Iron Jaws warband, but take 80% of the power away from the other three and put them all into Gozak. Mm. Cause Gozak's already like, he's already the, the biggest one by long. The biggest long one. Yeah. Huh. Basically every single turn I lost every single active, every single round I lost two or three without really any way of avoiding it to, because um, there are cards like um inspiration strikes, which I like, in- instantly inspire a character mm. which are of interesting utility in a warband where the power is evenly spread or relatively evenly spread yeah but in Molog's mob it's terrifying yeah, because yeah. you instantly inspire Moloch and he goes berserk right so in my first game I lost fifteen nil and I lost everybody in the second final phase <laughs> oh like there was because with a uh, the with the dark goth who have six fighters there's no reasonable way of staying out of his range mm. because he has the ability to charge twice range two, three movement like it's not really possible not to sacrifice somebody Mm. and he one shots every single person on that team Mm. um when he's inspired he can one shot anyone basically apart from the five wound the very rare five wound characters so it's not to say that it's overpowered at all but it's like i can imagine it being a really punishing experience for people who aren't specifically prepared for it yeah and even now, I'm not entirely sure how to be specifically prepared for it like I watched a friend who's a very good underworlds player play with his very competitive tournament winning zinch deck against it and get completely tabled mm. like just because you can't really stop him getting in your face unless you win the roll off to get a long board placement and keep him at arm's length yeah um three, it's, three movement isn't massive but i guess you can upgrade him and stuff he's also range two. Oh right yeah so, so effective it's effectively five yeah and so um and um yeah it, he's terrifying like it, it'll be really interesting like the downside to it is if he dies it's basically game over mm. for, for that mob so it'll be i think it's a really interesting dynamic i want to play more with it because it's um it'll be a kind of a fun thing to see how it resolves i think it'll shake things up a lot because he's so threatening like there's a um uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see what can survive yeah i imagine things like fast riders might be quite good because they can keep him at range three and there's not a lot of them mm. so you can prevent because he can only get a double charge if he can get the first charge if that makes sense yeah he the, the way he works best is like charges into one group of people kills them and then charges again and kills mm. them which is against um, any warband with lots of models it's impossible to avoid because there's not enough space on the board. You know, if you're... I, I suspect uh, the poor old Sepulchral Guard are completely fucked <laughs> against him. I think they already are, but... <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> Skaven also. as well. Like Skaven, Reavers, Sepulchral Guard, Nighthaunt will all struggle against someone that can yeah. chain and combo so hard off a single charge. Imagine the mirror match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two of us just very slowly wading towards each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also one of the things is that because of the there's the leader card set, which is bonuses specifically oh, yeah. for leaders... Hmm uh affect Molog's Mob disproportionately because they are all in on the leader mm. which means that like um they benefit a lot from cards like if your leader kills somebody, gain a point which in other warbands might be a bit situational because like Garrick's Reaver is the one I've played the most, for example. Garrick is a bit of a distraction. You power up Sayek or one of the other ones to yeah. go do the big heavy lifting for you. Mm. So those leader cards are sorta useful, sort of not. Whereas with Molog's Mob it's really a lot of those um powerful cards have a force mar- multiplying effect with him mm. because
2: the entire warband is built around that. That's rough. I mean, I can think of some cards that freeze characters in place and stuff that might work pretty well against. Yeah, band though. Time trap is oh, banned. Are they really? So y- oh, yeah. Okay. So oh. I mean, there are there are some things like
1: anything that reduces movement. I can imagine being pretty good against him. Yeah, uh, transfixing stare. I think is the card uh, allows you to sort of give a give a. Um, A character a move token even if they haven't moved which is really good that's really Um, good um it does lock down the double tans so i think i think it's more a case of adjusting to it but it's been Mm -hmm. the most dramatic like
2: oh oh shit kind of experience i've had with underworlds yeah that's interesting i mean i imagine you should see more people having to build those sort of cards into their decks in case they face that warband but then that's always an interesting thing for the to to the meta is like is it attacks on everyone because of this one the way this one warband particularly works um, yeah, and you know, does that restrict people's deck building ability competitively if, you know, you just have to have certain cards to deal with Malog? Yeah, I think I,
1: I've built, I, um, so I've decided that I'm basically going to try and main God's One because mm. I found them really interesting. Cool. And uh, I can talk about a little bit why they're, they're really interesting because they, they play like a sort of, um, they're quite a lot like Garrick's Reavers in that they have a really reliable inspire condition, mm. which is they inspire whenever you give any of them an upgrade. So okay. you, when, each individual model gets an upgrade they inspire and mm. it's because they're on the path to glory and, and getting something. Yeah. And this applies to the dog as well. It's five <laughs> nice. people and a dog, hmm. but, um, but they also have, but unlike Garrick rovers, they don't have quite the same kind of like scary melee punch that garrick rovers do, but they do have, um, the speed and range, which means they hold objectives a little bit better. So they, they play a play style which I think has been underrepresented in, in Underworlds, which is a sort of like fast objective capture mm. kind of thing where they, they don't want to sit back in their own territory and farm objectives, but they also kind of, uh, they want to kind of like skirmish into the sort of midfield and kind of play range games and things. And mm. then like, um, all kind of come together for, um, like killer strikes because their damage output is actually really low mm. until you start getting these combos off. And it's actually really gratifying pulling it off. Yeah. Like, you can do things like, um, there's one character who is the owner of the dog and they have a, an ability that allows them to call the dog to heal, which allows that you can push the dog double its movement characteristic, which is eight, eight hexes, oh, wow. as long as it ends adjacent to its owner.
0: Mm, that's so awesome. you can,
1: so the dog doesn't really do much most of the time, but yeah. you can do stuff like, you know, use it to set up assists and things, but like calling it into position and blocking hexes. Hmm. And you can do – yeah, there's a, I've had loads of fun moments with them because, like, the threat range can be surprising because they have – they're all movement four by default with – and some of them have range three weapons. Well, and, like, the lady with the javelin, which is a really fun model, um her javelin does more damage if she throws it when she charges, but she can only throw it once per game ah because she throws oh, it away it has got just magically yeah uh, that's against well, the rules uh, but, of one, one. but her specific upgrade each of them has like an upgrade that's specifically for them her yes. specific upgrade gives her an enchanted javelin which returns to her hand right so she gains that permanently uh, cool uh which is really rad but it means that you can do these sort of like you can set up something and then suddenly have her charge out from the back line and throw a javelin from really far away and like push someone down a hole and stuff it's it's, it's really i really like cool them. That's sort of Yeah, it has reminded me how much I like that game, despite getting completely annihilated by the indestructible Trogoth. Mm. Um, the, the Trogoth particular, like, I remember, um, Magos Fiends and, and the Iron Jaws always felt like a really rough matchup for Garrick Reavers because they rely on snowballing <laughs> off an early kill. And if you can't kill someone, what you gonna do? Yeah. Um, and fighting a small mob when you hide the mushrooms at the back. So there's no easy glory to get there and just throw the trogoth into your face was like that plus basically mm. for me with, with Dark Oath. So I'll be interested to see how that matches up, but,
2: but yeah, underworlds is still really good. You really like how that's, it's already inventive out. sorts of, you know, new types of warband that are coming out, even if this one is pretty menacing. <laughs> yeah. And
1: I, and I think it shows there's still got a, a, I think the, the ban list and stuff gives them space to design. Mm. interesting things without having to worry about what the effect of certain cards is going to be Yeah, on it. That makes sense. I think a lot of the things they've banned, are not just power, it's because of the way they, des- they limited the design space. Mm. So like in banning time trap, they basically banned your ability to take two turns in a row without, um, you know, um, basically your ability to take two turns in a row. And I can know somewhere they would do that because the ability to take two turns in a row then has to be factored in whenever you're designing any kind of ability. Yeah. And so it's definitely a limiting
2: thing. Interesting.
1: Elsewhere on the, the the news plate, what else we got? Do you want to talk about, uh, speaking of other boxed games, sort of the stuff
2: that's going on with Blackstone? Because I know you've been working through your Blackstone yeah, stuff. it has been my main hobby project this month, but they did announce an expansion for it, which is the Amble expansion. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it's, it's called that, but uh, it's going to add the Amble, which is a very, very old, like, almost a sort of Joke monster. Yeah, like a rogue before, trader maybe. era. Yeah, yeah, from like way back when, and it's just a random doodle by John Blanch or someone in a random rule book uh, became this ridiculous kind of ant monstrous ant creature what if an ogre has an ant's face yeah exactly uh and then suddenly it's back it's been hiding in the blackstone fortress all along and it's going to get its own big like enormous model and uh special rules And apparently it's almost like a side quest that can happen yeah. within blackstone fortress where you you can chase it down or something and, and find find it within the blackstone fortress for great Kill it, Take it stuff yeah yeah um and it's just uh it's very different from Warhammer quests they've done previously, where the types of upgrades and additions they've done have been, oh, here's some rules for extra heroes, and here's here's some models you might otherwise have. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And here's a box full of some heroes that you you know already exist. Whereas this is actually a really cool way of broadening what is you know a a long campaign. Something that you could probably insert into the middle of the campaign that you're already running. Uh, And I really like that. It's really exciting. I also love that. Um, Blackstone Fortresses in particular is a way of—we've already discussed—a way of exploring weird corners of the 40k lore, and the Amble is just the, the weirdest corner of 40k lore. <laughs> yeah. and the idea that that's now going to be a model in that game is is really cool, and bodes I really hope there's like more of that type of thing planned for Blackstone, uh, because while I'm still working towards it, I'd, I, I want to play it once it's all painted, which is ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'll have to paint an Amble as well, and I'll be very happy to see them releasing more stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not sure what the rules are like. I'm not sure like how it actually works. I think they there's a sort of so there are like structured
1: encounters in Blackstone, as well as the kind of randomly generated ones. Right. I think it's a new structured encounter, but it also gives you the cards you need to add that, the amble as an enemy type that can potentially be encountered. Oh, fantastic. You so it's like up to, throughout the game. It yeah, can basically add it to the random encounter table. Basically. Cool. 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 That's really nice. That's really yeah. Cool Cause it really also cool comes one. with a bunch of like Gribbly monsters as well. It's not oh, just right. the amble. It's also a bunch of attendant insect kind of pals that live in its house. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. yeah. That game's great. Hmm. I haven't played it much since we last recorded one of these podcasts. Um, I'm, I think I've had one session since, but it remains like my favorite new
2: Warhammer thing oh, in ages. Really, really excited to play it. Oh, it's going to be so good. Yep. Just moving off the bad guys. <laughs> Lots of bad guys to paint. Yeah. The last, um, Blackstone game we had
1: was Pius Vaughn went completely berserk <laughs> and basically did the entire expedition by herself. It was kind of, oh, wow. yeah, like, uh, she, I was going to say she's a very hot and cold kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's the lady with the flamethrower. If that joke wasn't obvious, yeah. yeah. Um, but man, when she goes off, she really, really goes off. <laughs> like she can flame. Uh, she can sort of like suppress. She, goes, she can just shoot at everybody in a in a hex. Every model that shares a hex, mm. she can attack all at once. Mm. And her instant inspire condition is if she kills three people in the same hex, well, at the same all at once. Mm. And there are ways in the game of guaranteeing that. Once per expedition, so. You pull people. Put yeah, so basically there's a, here's a, here's a, here's a pro tip for the month. Mm. Um, how to instantly inspire Pius Fawn. If you run her with, cause the, the pair I've been running, cause I've been playing with my friend Will and we have had two heroes each basically. And I've been running Diet Grek and Pius Fawn. So Flamethrower Lady and Cruit Tracker. Mm. Um, she has the ability to, um, on a, uh, her her six plus weapon action. So if you have a, an activation dice of a six, her thing is she can do an attack against every model in a hex. Um, Diex spaceship has a once per expedition ability that costs. I think it's two up for Grek to use it, but six up for everyone else to use it. Mm. And if you use the six up, if you use that, what it happens is you do one of your weapon abilities, but rather than rolling dice, every roll is a crit. Well, wow. so which is usually because he's a sniper. It's for like, it's it's basically like a targeting array, like mm. a kind of like, like targeting matrix kind of zooms in on a particular hex and guarantees crits. Yeah. But as written with, um, with Pius Vaughn, that means all, th- all three of her attacks become crits automatically, mm. which crits in Blackstone do three damage. So they kill almost everything in terms of basic infantry. So guardsmen, ghouls, spindle drones, et cetera. Mm. So, the way that game went is I just realized that um, because of the way initiative swapping works, which is super cool in Blackstone, I could put her at the top of the initiative order out of the lift and around a corner within her movement range were three Urgles standing together hmm. in a pile. And so I was just like, I'm just going to do this. And so Dayak's spaceship gives her instant crits against all of them. She just kills all of them immediately. And that is then inspired for the rest of the oh, wow. expedition. Yeah. But I love the, my head cannon kind of theming of this Is that she doesn't like, she is supposed to be this sort of like, um, ex hive ganger agent of the sort of, sort of, you know, ecclesiastical element of imperial society. Mm -hmm. Her name is Pius, for heaven's sake. (laughs) My sort of headcanon is that she doesn't understand that this targeting data that's being fed to her is. Like some Xenos kind of like laser targeting system. The she the sees Emperor. it. She <laughs> sees it as like a beam of holy light through yeah, the clouds. That's right, that's right. Like set these people on fire, <laughs>
2: Pius. Yeah, that's, yes, that's- yes, yes, Dad. <sighs> it's very good. I love the idea that um, those spaceship abilities overlap with other characters' abilities as well. Yeah. That kind of team play and interaction within a squad is is super cool. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I, I might. I'm wondering which heroes to run. I might. I quite just place it at the half. The halflings. They're not called halflings. Ratlings. Ratlings um and might do them they're they're really funny yeah they're really good <laughs> are they really good Ah,
1: oh. i think i think they're all pretty good like, yeah yeah there are there are characters that become more useful as time goes on as well like mm. um like i've basically given all of my upgrades to dyak and he's really good now but he's really going at single targets and initially that wasn't that useful because you're facing hordes all the time with the initial encounter deck that makes sense but now that we've got like beastmen in the encounter deck it, you suddenly want someone who's really good at taking down off. yeah, a big character because mm. that becomes a bigger threat as time goes on. Mm. Like so early on you'll probably find that like Pius, the robot, the priest are all really good because they they're all naturally good against mobs, but you also want, you know, the elder, for example, in mm. reserve. She's really good against sort of individual highly armored individual
2: targets. Yeah, I can imagine that. Man, it's cool. It's really good. What a good box that is. seems like it's going to have um, pretty serious ramifications for the lore as well. Um, Mm. Feels as though that Blackstone Fortress and they've kind of reinvented the Blackstone Fortress a bit because remember when it was in Battlefield Gothic and it used to be just... Yeah, it still is. It still is, yeah. And and it is expressly a chaos vessel as though like, oh, Korn owns this. Whereas this one is very much is more ambiguous. The thing, I I don't know how much of a retcon it is, but the idea is that they've always been Xenos
1: constructs. Mm. It's just that... So, because they're made of Blackstone... Um, that, that's the thing they introduced in Forgebane last year, I think, is right. the idea that, cause you have these sort of pylons that can shut down the Eye of Terror. I think that the retcon has been that, that it's, it's all one material and it either amps the warp or, uh, or suppresses it. So it depends who channels it. So it's it like a kind of, you know, warp manipulation mm. material, right. basically. So that's why the Blackstone Fortresses are both like a powerful anti-chaos weapon, mm. but also really powerful. In the hands of chaos. The fact that they're shaped like a chaos eight pointed star, (laughs) presumably a coincidence.
2: Yeah, that's the other part with the new art and stuff. Like they don't show the Battlefield Fortress as being that at all. That's the old Battlefield, Battlefield Gothic conception of um, what they look like. Whereas this is supposed to be almost like a shapeless mass of shifting Xenos corridors and strange chambers. Well, it's like the
1: interior is shifting, but it's Mm, still that, the outside.
2: That type of thing. It's also like in a huge debris
1: field. Like, and there's, um, so like there's a nice bit of lore, which is not a spoiler for the game because it's in the, basic law but it's like the reason it's full of black legion chaos space marines which is another reason to think that chaos undivided stuff is coming this year Mm, sure um but the reason it's full of them is because um it basically ate a Chaos warship, right? From the Battle of focadia Ah, that's so from. cool. Yeah, so yeah. like they basically went into the warp after that battle, but it gone wrong because going into the warp goes wrong sometimes, mm. and they ended up basically getting eaten by this Blackstone Fortress. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's where all the Chaos Space Marines come from. Is
2: yeah, is I, trapped. I was you about the art in the last podcast, and actually in the latest White Dwarf, they've just got loads of. They've got an illumination section and actually illumination used to be its own magazine and it's now being incorporated into New White Dwarf. Mm. Uh, and it's just beautifully printed. You know, it's the reason why you have a magazine rather than looking at a website, just being able to see these beautifully printed pieces of art on a piece of paper in front of you and uh they've got loads of the blackstone artwork and one of them shows almost oh, like the throne room of the of yeah. space marines and there are all these shards kind of coming into it that is the blackstone fortress kind of trying to eat it and in, infiltrating the this the bridge of their ancient ship and uh i found that all that all that artwork super evocative because it's not too detailed but it just evokes a sense of space and a sense of, kind yeah. of color and it. confusion and um yeah it's super super good what a cool setting for a for a board game yeah i really like it like uh yeah, I play more of it now. Now, mm.
1: now I want to play it. <laughs> um, Speaking of White Dwarf, actually, it might be worth
2: talking a bit about how yeah. White Dwarf's relaunched because yeah. I um, I really like what they've done with it. I'm super impressed. I think that like this issue's my favourite White Dwarf ever, prob- probably just because it is. It, they brought back little short stories, and mm. I really like having like, a little bits of fiction in there. I think that, it's lovely they brought that back. Um, it's very. Sec- Segmented into different, you know, there's an AOS section, there's a 40k section, there's like a a, a, a Titanicus section. And they've still got battle reports, but it means that all of their systems are getting like a lot of attention and cool features. And the features I found to be like actually super useful, especially like loads of great painting guides in there, loads of like, a whole section on the realm of fire and how to paint effects for various types of material and basing and scenery and stuff like that. Just really, yeah, good practical hobby tips with great photography and and yeah, it's, it's just a really good issue, I think.
1: Yeah, like I think it it shows that like I I can't approach a magazine like this neutrally now because right. I worked on a magazine yeah. for a long time, yeah, and you know, and and actually I've always there's um there's a not insubstantial amount of sort of crossover and in, in kind of personnel between PC Gamer and Games Workshop over the years, yeah, right, like it has definitely sure. happened, and that sort of it feels like um you know there's always been a sort of um, PC Game magazine, specific. That's actually quite a lot like White Dwarf in, in some ways, like mm-hmm. in terms of the way you know talking about play rather than rules mm-hmm. necessarily. Like battle reports are very you know yeah PCG reports, type yeah, diaries that kind of thing. Um, sure. But this you know, and I, I I was subscribed to White Dwarf when it came back you know rec- a couple of years ago, mm. and I subscribed for about a year and then I let it lapse because for a few reasons. One was because it felt like it was recycling the same sorts of features over and over and over again like the painting guides were too specific really mm. and are not broad ranging enough um but also because one thing that's really different between white dwarf and pc gamer is is how far an advanced white dwarf is written yeah and crazy, I, I always found that very off-putting and i don't know like i don't know if this is something you come you think about when you've worked in that environment but like their inability to be very reactive to the community or what was going on really showed because Mm. and i think this is still the case because like there are references in the new white it's really clear from the reader letters in the current issue of white dwarf that it was written in the middle of last year Mm. it's from like june july august last year it is a huge lead time so for clarity if you don't if you're not aware pc gamer is produced with about a two to three week lead time Mm. which means that when it goes on shelves is about two to three weeks after it was sent to the printers yep. and that's um about as tight as it can possibly get in the world of magazines mm. a lot of magazines even sister magazines are producing much longer lead time than that white dwarf was at a very long lead time <laughs> and on paper i understand why because they are literally sitting at the source of all the information they'll ever need <laughs> Yeah, you know, they don't need to you know be reactive to what a game publisher might do mm. because they are the publisher as well yes but it really makes it feel a bit dead if it's miles out of touch with what's going on in the community at that time. Like mm. it, it it would prevent them from ever doing like, let's check in with this cool tournament that happened this month because you'll find out about it in six months. And that's, you know, I remember the White Dwarf, the previous White Dwarf that really put me off was one where it was, it was like a Christmas issue. Um, But there was a lot of, sort of tongue in cheek references to the fact that it was being written in July mm. or August. And I was like, I get that you can't get around this, but it was also like... Don't hang a lantern on it. <laughs> yeah, don't hang a... Yeah. Mm. Whereas the new one, I don't know what the restructuring's necessarily been, but it's much more substantially written by the design team. Mm. So far more of the articles are by people working on the games in the present tense. Yeah, that's true. And that I think is the key to why it's gotten so much better so quickly is mm. because suddenly it's sort of very much from the horse's mouth kind of insight. And therefore it matters less that it's being written miles in advance because yeah. it, the if, and if you've not gotten closer to the present day, you've gotten a lot closer to the source. Rather than it being a mag team translating stuff that will also go out through various other marketing channels. So far ahead of time that it feels a bit
2: stifled by the time it gets to you. Yeah, they say in the intro. In fact, they've moved the, off, uh, the white dwarf kind of desks or whatever the setup is like they sit with the design team now, so they could just go over and ask someone if they want to presumably just ask if they want to pen something. Yeah, uh, and that definitely that definitely shows. So I, I did. I liked the access to Golden Demon painters, and mm. I found a lot of that like a bunch of that stuff really insightful. For they they always they've always done very good Golden Demon coverage. Mm uh and the, i agree with that yeah the great photography that really feeds into that i think that one of the big differences between white dwarf and gamer is that uh like th- there's so much photography in white dwarf and that is really time consuming and just yeah it, totally uh, and also especially if it's they're part of the the publisher that is also producing the products there's also that owners to show them all in their best light oh uh, yeah so they're, they're, and but that's also why the white dwarf team is so much bigger than gamers team these, these days in particular uh because they have got to have like two photographers doing stuff and so much kind of time and stuff mm. to produce that. oh yeah i don't mean to sound like i don't understand the lead time sure. but i do think the lead
1: time it is detrimental to the yeah. product yeah like it might be unavoidable from a production point of view but i don't think the old like i don't think the most you know until recently i don't think white dwarf was making up for the difference you know what I mean? Mm. Like, you know, the, you have to accept that you've got a certain lead time, but then you've got to try and pay it back to the reader in some way. Yeah. And I feel like that wasn't really the case, but this new issue really impressed me because of the amount of new stuff in it. The mm. idea of using it as a way to put out new skirmish rules, which we're going to get to later in this episode. Yes. Yeah. To put out chapter rules for space Marines and things like that. Mm. Like it feels so much more
2: close to the sort of marrow of yeah. the hobby. Because like, the sk- so John Bracken wrote the skirmish rules and um i'm they're, they're doing much better at like creating recognizable figures within the Warhammer mm. team who are kind of public facing and john bracken is one of those people because he runs he runs a lot of their tournament stuff yeah uh, he's like one of their to organizers um tournament organizers organizers as i just said um <laughs> uh and he's yeah so he's created loads of rules for that sort of stuff but it's cool to see him doing rules writing in white dwarf as well and his recognizable face and yeah the more more of that sort of thing they do but, but like so a way of building a community when you do have a long lead time is to create recognizable figures who so, are uh, on Twitch streams and on the internet and yeah. being public face of the company. That's changed a lot.
1: And it's also to, I think the other way of doing it, which is what they are doing. And I, so I would say I have resubscribed on the strength of this one issue mm. because I really like it. The other thing I think they're doing well is providing like features that have long-term value. Mm. And so, you know, it might, you know, it's definitely a, a kind of get you to come back kind of, plan that the skirmish stuff AOS is going to be spread over several months in the magazine that's not necessarily a new trick but that stuff has value like has long term value whereas the old style sort of let's get design insights on the latest release for 40k Rage of sigma is interesting but it's not the kind of thing i'm going to hold on to mm. you know what i mean like in terms of i want to go back to this yeah. so one of the reasons the golden demon stuff was always so good is like i basically kept that entire pile of magazines because i like looking back over the painting stuff yes and i think the more they can do to fill that magazine with features that you'll want to return to because they address something sort of timeless about the hobby whether it's how to paint realm of fire which i agree that article's great mm. or like even the jervis johnson article which is simply about how faqs are done yeah it's really it's interesting, really interesting. Yeah. it's like and again it has sort of lasting value mm. and i think that's the way to overcome a long lead time like mm. there's definitely some sort of if you it's not that this stuff can ever be objectively plotted but if you to try and objectively plot it lead time has a relationship with timelessness of content like you can have a long lead time if you're producing stuff that is very evergreen and it doesn't age quickly. But White Dwarf has always had a problem pre- pre- traditionally with the fact that in the last couple of years, it's been competing with the web. So, you know, here is a big, you know, so one of the reasons I stopped getting it was because it would be like, here is a huge series of articles talking about
2: Iden F. Deepkin models that I have seen in four other contexts and have come out, you know, and often the same photography as well. Like, yeah, which is, yeah, again, repeating the content a bit. Uh, this is a perennial, probably, magazines face anyway. Um, you know, to what extent do you undermine the magazine by putting things online, etc.? And White Dwarf faces yeah. the same issue. Oh god, we've, we journeyed to the center of the baseball, Tom. Yeah, we are, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I, for me, the best things that have ever come out of White Dwarf are A, painting stuff, and B, um, for, uh, White Dwarf acting is a kind of quiet expansion to all the existing games. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, uh, in the, the other, White dwarf issue that I would compete with this one for me is one where they had, um, they printed pirate rules, rules for a pirate warband for wartime. Mm. My next wartime campaign, I, I, I've held on, held on to that white dwarf forever. Cause I was, Oh, one day I'm going to make this and the rules are super fun. You know, you could have, you know, when limb, you lost limbs, you could replace them with peg legs and stuff. You could have like a, a parrot that had rules that would, you know, attack enemies and stuff like that. And I, I ran the pirates in my next wartime campaign and they were dreadful, but it was the funniest Some of the funniest battles i've ever had in warhammer w- was with w- with those those rules and and if i hadn't picked up that issue of white dwarf i'd never have even had that as an option. yeah and so so it's a, a quietly just expanding all aspects of the hobby and uh, stuff that you want to hang on to and use in your future games uh, and this with the realm of fire painting tips and with the skirmish rules and with the crimson fists chapter the oh god cruise. they really got you with that right oh yeah that's like t- that's laser targeted at my interests so um yeah it, that felt right on the money i think but i think i'm going to kind of pick up issues um one by one for a while just see if that kind of keeps up because i know a relaunch can be a big thing and a lot of effort go into it and then maybe like yeah the the grind of it can you know hurt hurt further down the line but we'll see
1: yeah i wanted to kind of support because i actually really enjoyed being subscribed because i think the thing i like about the hobby hobby stuff generally for me is it's sort of like it's a genuine it's a genuine break from work Mm. whereas i guess you and i in the unique sort of relatively unique position of working in video games where hobby work overlaps. Lots can, of crossover. Yeah. The den diagrams. And so like every month getting this sort of magazine that was just a big sort of like pile of things I was interested in. I mm. really, really liked. And it it was took a while before that kind of um fatigue set in and the new, the new formula has really revitalized it for me. So I'm kind of happy to subscribe because now I'm excited to see mm. sort of everything that's in it again, particularly yeah, uh, as you say, now that it feels like more of like, a direct line to the creators of this thing. I like every month. Mm. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Good job. People who make that magazine. (laughs) Yeah. Good job. guys. Good job guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate, you know, if you're not interested in publishing and things, it might've been a bit of a weird digression, but it is a big part of the hobby, how they
2: choose to communicate. Absolutely. I think it's also a big part of people's memories of Warhammer as well. White White has always been important. Like I I remember a load of those old covers and all the old artwork and stuff. And, um, yeah, it has always been an important part of their business, I think. It's resurrected. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's really great to see it evolve. And it's great to see it evolve without what, as far as
1: I could tell, without too much external pressure mm. to change. It felt like it changed because it needed to, not
2: because. Uh, everything they've done has yeah. made it more like old white, white dwarf. Like remember when they went down to like, buy, uh, you know, fortnightly issues and they are like, yeah, thin. it was a product catalog basically. Uh, basically. And they, they separated out illuminations into a different thing that wasn't really worth the money. And it's like, oh no, it's. Bring it back into a very hefty, chunky, really nice kind of hobby magazine. That's, that's mm. lovely. It's nice yeah. thing to own.
1: It's good stuff. I'm trying to think what else we've got on the, the news list. It's a big old news list. what's yeah, happened? Um, oh, yeah. While well, we're still on AOS stuff, I want to talk about Carrion Empire. This is also Ooh. announced. I didn't realize I also wanted this. <laughs> So this is
2: uh Fleshy to Courts versus, versus Skaven. specifically Clan Skyer. Right. Which I'm dead into. Yeah, so. yeah, that's interesting. And I've um I was talking to a friend of the podcast and no, a no, friend of us, Chimp, yeah. and uh who owns of uh Fleshy to Courts army and uh, as soon as this happened, he was like oh, Is there a battle time? Is there a battle time, is there a battle time, is it coming, is it coming, is it coming? Uh and if they did do like a fleshly sports battle time, would that be the first of like the new battle times they've refreshed within this cycle? I don't, so so there is, there's definitely precedent for
1: this sort of structure. Hmm. Like, so I think, you know, we've just had wrath and rapture, which is the corn demons versus the demons, army box, new models in both, but also old models. Um, slanesh is obviously coming at some point, right? Yeah. Um, this box i think is really interesting because it has new a new flashy court uh, character model and a new skaven character model yeah um both of those factions those factions are really interesting because both of them need both battle tome and model support but for completely different reasons <laughs> flashy courts need it because their battle tome is out of date mm. um and, but also because they have a relatively small number of kits. It's like three kits total for Flashy mm. to Courts. So it's like ghouls, the crypt ghouls kind of multi-part. Flayers. There are a few that build different ways. The yeah. The yet. crypt ghouls, crypt flayers, I think is one kit. And you've got like Terra Geist and well, the Terra Geist, uh, yeah. ghoul king on dragon mm. or not on dragon. Mm. The variations right, of right, yeah. those themes. But it's not low. It's basically like almost every kit that exists for so that faction is in the start collecting box. Mm. Put it that way. So new, they do need new kits, but they, they, and they could use a rules update. So I think a battle time for them is not kind of like out of the question because mm. the requirements for it are relatively easy to imagine. Mm. I think also like they're an ideal candidate for like a couple of new models and a piece of terrain. Right.
2: You know, just not a huge model update, but like a, a nice rules update that and a couple of new kits and a battle time. Because they, because they um, arrived after they were one of the AOS books, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and would do, uh, I think it might be the first AOS book that would get a refresh with a new book, apart from Stormcast. And it would yeah. be interesting to well, choose, the, especially as pose uh, the Caradron. Uh,
1: the room than. is the Caradron coming, but also Caradron are much newer. Yeah, that's true. Like, you know, there are also things like um, Bone Split that's that could also use the same treatment, yeah. that kind of thing. I as well, um, Skaven are a really interesting case because, mm. uh, and, um, uh, and I'm a big Skaven fan, but they're in a, they've been a weird place for a long time because they are one of the most iconic and popular warhammer factions yet their their kits are in complete disarray mm. um you know there's only been one sort of scaven battle tone for aos and it's clan pestilence and the reason for that i have to assume is because only clan pestilence has a consistent standard of plastic kits so if you take like clan Skyer, which is the kind of tech scaven like the kind of war machines and storm um storm fiends and that kind of thing yeah there are some relatively new plastic kits like storm fiends the warp lightning cannon that kind of stuff mm. but their battle line so so storm fiends are battle line for clan Skyer, but so are Sky acolytes and Sky acolytes and Globadiers and things are only available as metal res or resin miniatures mm. for like eight quid each mm. like They're just unviable. Like, they're in that proper old-school Warhammer Fantasy Battle dead zone, which is really weird for one of the most popular factions. Mm. And, you know, there are bizarre rules problems for Skaven, like the fact that clan rats aren't battle line for... any clan other than Verminus I think right which is nuts because they're, they're, they're called clan on, rats
2: they're divided on weird lines as well aren't yeah. they like the the uh the it's Skyer, Mulder Verminus Pestilens
1: Master Clan but Master Clan shouldn't really be a clan by itself because mm. it's the clan that sits
2: on top of the clan so you know what I mean there's like yeah, yeah. the whole thing needs a proper Legions and Nagash yeah. style rewrite Le- that would be the parallel I would draw for sure Legions, Legions and Nagash and some um you can imagine though I'd want to see like a a massive Models released with Skaven. Cause I think, yeah, I'd love to see what they do with like the Doom Bell. The, the, I, sorry, don't, the, I don't think we'll get a new bell. Cause the Screaming Bell is like one of the plastic kits
1: that's still. Oh, re- is that like an End Times one? Perhaps. Yeah. It's yeah. relatively new. Cause it's with the Pestilence set. Cause I think it's right, the same right, right, kit that makes the. Oh, no, it's not. Screaming Bell. Sorry. Doom screaming Wheel, Bell. The, yeah. Doom Wheel. I'm not sure. Doom Wheel's still good as well. Oh, yeah. Cause it is the, as well. Because if you, but this, this is what was so sort of striking to me. Cause what's in Carry and Empire mm. is you get a doomwheel you get skaven you get the lightning cannon you get storm fiends and one character mm. it's a it's actually a minimum a count elite of, skaven army because yeah, those are yeah. the only plastic kits that are still good yeah yeah i i suspect you know if um if any other old warhammer factions are about to get the same treatment that night goblins just got it's probably skaven mm. because they're in a very similar position to where night goblins were like night goblins are the equivalent right mm. like they had a few decent plastic kits but a lot of old resin things like fanatics and things Mm. about as important to the fiction, but also like the other thing that's worth pointing out is that, you know, if you think about how far, cause the game's actually is at times working five years ahead, you know, there were weird little unprecedented spider goblins in silver tower three years ago. Mm. And it took three years to get to the point where that suddenly blows up into this huge faction release. Yeah. But also in silver tower was a dark oath character but also two new skaven eshin assassins yeah that's a really good point like um that came out of basically nowhere mm-hmm. like here is two death runners that we've yeah. never really been seen other times. time then a couple of years after that you get the skaven warband for underworlds which establishes a whole bunch of new skaven design mm. like we know this about games Workshop, that this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum and those designs once they're in the cad system aren't Started, for, it's, yeah. if that's not happening for one underworld's
2: war band right. put it that way yeah for sure yeah more hairless skavens come i yeah. like i like the Skaven, but they are uh, eshin, eshin is my favorite uh skaven sub-faction i think I, I love the idea of like lots of gray-robed master assassins kind of yeah. running around on the battlefield asking acting almost as like fanatics or something just they can I, pop out of the unit and assassinate something
1: i really wanted Skya as allies for zinch Mm. Like the idea that you have these sort of like scaven inventors, like trying to science <laughs> their way through the magic stuff that's happening around them. I really <laughs> yeah, like the idea. That's a really that. cool idea. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I may well get in Empire, I think partly because I'm, I said I wasn't, wasn't sure about doing loads more AOS stuff, but I've now bought tickets to go to London GT in September. Oh, I see. Um, but I'm also going to do the doubles and I'm going to do the doubles with uh, my friend Matt Sherritt of Hipster Hammer. Yeah. Um, who's going to be running Nighthaunt. So uh, if I cool. end up getting Some a Carrion Empire or two, I may end up running Flashy Decorts mm. as a sort of 800 points kind of accompaniment. May not, but we'll see how that goes. But yeah, so that box is looking kind of appealing. Very cool. Flashy yeah. Decorts are really cool. Like I really like their fictions. They're well. my favorite death faction. Mm. I don't really like any of the death factions because vampires aren't really doable, which mm. is, but Flashy Decorts are basically vampires. <laughs> they so. basically oh Yeah, it's true. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. In speaking of weirdos, which we're all speaking about, I think it's probably the last thing on the list. of <laughs> Loads of news, but um, I've
2: been really impressed by the Gene Steeler Colts. Yeah, stuff. Let's talk about the bikes. I really like the bikes; they're really good. I like the bikes a lot. The, I think this is where, like, there are two factions I would collect in 40k. First one was Mechanicus, and second and rising is Gene Steeler Colts because for me they uh, embody like a particular like a really quite an old school almost like 80s sci-fi aesthetic and yeah that would be super fun to paint and they're also i love the idea of like shambolic just ordinary modern day motorbikes that are ridden by mm. these kind of weirdos and one also one of them is in the canada akira sniper pose she from- as well which oh, oh right yeah. yeah that uh, that model is rad and also just like you know yeah just do a Kiro with a bike <laughs> just yeah. just do that pose It's awesome, uh, and I want to paint that as well and I love those models I think they're really, really cool, yeah, they're a really good job like and I think um
1: I really like how saying that like how sort of much more diverse that setting is becoming as mm. they invest in these kinds of factions specifically yeah like I really love to see where that goes next
2: is it's that kind of slightly high aesthetic as well isn't it is that, you know the idea is that they're these cults emerge from imperial societies. So they sort of addressed in lo-fi, a lo-fi way that mm. they're not space marines. They're not huge. They're just cool, weird, um, uh, just people from those cities that have come up and decided to embrace the, Sometimes you're grand gene stealer and there's nothing you can do about yeah, it. You absolutely. Know yeah. It's also like they've made a fashion choice as a, as, as teens to become mods or rockers, except this one comes with extra tentacles further down the line. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Extra teeth. Man, they'd make a really, oh man someone should make a this
1: is a bit off topic but someone should make a 40k far cry game <laughs> right because gene sealer cults are like the perfect villain for that mm. right it's sort of so. like you know cultist but desperately wrong in some kind <laughs> yeah. of much deeper way yeah they're really good
2: yeah and also it's it's such a classic kind of grimdark 40k thing that their their religion will also ultimately get them liquefied by yeah like their their grand ascension will be then be liquefied into biomass and then eaten by a giant monster (laughs) there was a yeah there was a sort of but and and that's a really
1: like i really like the way that fits into 40k fiction because there's like there's a whole sort of repeated motif in 40k messy as that fiction is that like there's probably a lot of people on the ground on these sort of infinite worlds of the Imperium looking to the stars for salvation mm. and literally nothing that comes from space is ever good it's like a really <laughs> yeah. good like uniform kind of <laughs> nothing like, won't screw them over like yeah exactly like there's nothing they could latch onto that would if, help them. you know like yeah the gene the cults are looking to the sky and, and waiting for the day that the tyranid high fleets arrive and eat yeah. everybody but actually it's no better to be a imperial like a devout sort of cult of the emperor sort of imperial mm imperium citizen who looks to the sky waiting for the inquisition to arrive or the adeptus Astartes or something because they are just as likely <laughs> to exterminate the hell out yeah, of your planet sure. so, mm-hmm. like it's kind of like the whole idea that you know um like it's uh, that subversion of you know literally nothing good comes from looking to space for answers it's like one of the, the things i like the most about the 40k setting i think mm. they're like oh it's just crap like you know it's you know we're all in the gutter and some of us are looking at the stars but it doesn't matter because the stars are just a bigger gutter full of assholes <laughs>
2: <laughs> they'll do much worse things to you yeah yeah it's no salvation there's no salvation for the ordinary hive gang really like They can live a scrappy, horrible life and get shot in an encounter or they can join an occult and get eaten by a Tyranids or they can join, you know, the Imperial Guard and get eaten slash shot by a space marine or any given creature in the universe they happen to be forced to fight. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, if they... the Probably the best fate you could
1: hope for is to be selected to become a space marine at which point you have your entire personality ripped out you right. become a
2: British character actor. <laughs> you become Mark Strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you lose, um, you lose all of your beliefs and you're indoctrinated to, But you probably live a bit longer. Like. Probably live a bit longer for sure. Maybe the best thing to be is, uh, some sort of, uh, really hedonistic, uh, slightly corrupt, but not too corrupt to be noticed by the Inquisition, uh, mid-level kind of. Imperial bureaucrat. Uh, yes. Imperial bureaucrat in a very, very large city. And you sort of like try your best to just hustle your way through to yeah. a natural death without an averse or assassin coming to horribly brain muddy <laughs> yeah. and on the way. And in, in many ways, it is all about the middle class. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the battleground for yeah, the, of the humanity. And uh, maybe that's, maybe that's the best life in 40 K, but yeah, mm-hmm. anyone listening has any ideas. Yeah. Email. Let us know. Yeah. It's probably not
1: being, becoming a gene seal occultist.
2: No, I imagine it'd be fun for a while. I, I think the camaraderie would be excellent. And the fact that, you know, there are, it's a bit like chaos boons, isn't it? Like everyone starts genetically changing into these creatures and they you retain change the back out. Like, that's the weird thing. It's oh, Cause really, it's
1: exactly like the, it the, the gene stealer cult cycle is like granddad's a gene stealer. First Uh-oh. generation are very much gene stealers, hmm. but a little bit human. Hmm. Then they become more and more human until like fourth generation is like almost, apart from the fact that they're bald, <laughs> like are almost, you know, fourth generation is just all Michael Stipe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and then, and then after Michael Stipe, it's xenomorphs again and then it's yeah uh, interesting. Was that the, yeah is this like children generation by generation yeah down? Uh, okay.
1: so yeah because it's it's yeah they, there's actually a this has been around for a while but there's a post on warhammer community this week about exactly this hmm. but yeah so it's it's fourth generation is is the one where they all pass as human basically right um and they they're all connected to that original patriarch hmm. or you know gene stealer ancestor but but then when they have kids, their kids are pure strange gene stealers. They're, they're 100% tyrannid. They're not mm. human at all. Oh God. So. Is that the invasion phase? Yeah. Well, and then, well, that's either the invasion phase or those kids get packed off into shipping containers and sent to <laughs> other planets. And the, it's again, oh, yeah. Yeah, and the cycle trains again. It's it?
2: the circle of life. The circle of horrible f- yeah. fucking futile death. <laughs> yeah.
1: Good. But I really like that as a, sub- again, you know, because I think Tyranids, it's not really an accident where Tyranids come from. Tyranids come from the movie Alien, <laughs> if you yes. were wondering. And it's a nice sort of reworking Version of, of that. that. That rather than it being like literally this alien has burst out of your sternum, it's like this alien bursts out of your great, great grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> and they like it that's <laughs> no, no, great yeah. you always get special powers and extra strength and extra content. they do yeah so, but like I mean, and, and there good, can be that? mutants at any given stage that like mm-hmm. have an extra arm and things but mm-hmm. the idea is that they're all useful so that the ones that you know can definitely can't pass for human because they are full-on gene stealers are used to like dig the tunnels and set up the ambush and that kind of thing yeah whereas the ones that pass for human take up positions in government <laughs> Yeah, that's such a good like, idea is yeah it? and like you know uh, and take over imperial guard regiments which is why they can have cult right yeah yeah, and yeah. there's some really cool mechanics with the new gene-silk cult stuff like you can um set up underground which is like a traditional deep striking mechanic but you can also set up in ambush mm. which is um you rather than placing the model you place a cardboard token that comes with the um codex mm. which just represents a sensor blip so, rather than deploying your actual units, you just deploy sensor blips around the enemy oh, nice. and there are stratagems that allow you to place three sensor blips rather than one that mm. kind of thing Legendary So the areas. idea is your enemy is just seeing beeps on the long oh, range oh, that's scanners so good. That's very and then well. in your first turn, you replace each blip with a mo- with a unit so you decide what was where and uh, this can be everything from like units of gene steel occultists to like tanks <laughs> so, like we, you know you had a, a, a like a lemon rust underneath a tarp, <laughs> basically like yeah really it's 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 basically just the evil a team <laughs> <laughs> cross with the bike and mice from mars yeah that's so good that's so good such good models yeah i like them a lot
2: we should talk about our own uh month in in hobby stuff tom what have you been up to uh so i've been playing um playing painting uh blackstone fortress still that's my main project and i don't really want to do anything else until all the blackstone is finished um but blackstone is a big and varied box and that's what i'm loving about it Hmm. uh so i've done um some more heroes from the last time i can't remember which ones i talked about i've definitely done the rattling since then yeah i think that's new and that's new and they they are basically slightly larger than a five pence piece and they are the smallest models i've ever painted i think ever uh and they're just rich with tiny amounts of detail little armor plating stuff dangling off their belts little goggles on their bald heads their beards and all that sort of stuff um and luckily i have a magnifier now <laughs> it's like a clamp on desk just massive magnifying glass that i can like bring in and for these models it proved to be hugely useful just to be able to see the detail but also just to get that extra brush c- brush control and you know actually be able to paint those and separate out the different sections of armor in different colors i wanted to use uh, and the colors are pretty basic just sort of very various c- kind of camo shaped greens and that kind of thing uh, but it was very satisfying to paint such little guys and when you look at them from tabletop they look awesome like they're really really nice Mm. uh all of the colors like well designed and um just sort of the coverage is really nice and it's just it's just turned out really nicely for those those models, and um, and I would put that down to be able to see what I'm doing properly <laughs> on a very very small scale, uh, and I found it very useful, not all, like 100% of the time, but just like probably about 30% of the time, bringing a magnifier in to go and do a belt buckle or do some eyes or do a moustache or something like that, uh, and the extra visibility I found personally I found super super useful, mm. uh, and I did uh, the Rogue Trader himself. What's his name? Janus Drake. Janus Drake and i basically just wanted to go for i've been following the color schemes pretty much for from the box and from you know, as they were designed by the heavy metal painters and uh yeah so i did, I did him and he basically turns out like it looks more or less like the box like mm-hmm. he wore, it looks i got to a stage where uh at tabletop level like yeah that basically looks that's like him yeah that's him that's basically what they did what heavy metal did and obviously there's loads of extra detail and technique that goes into heavy metal stuff but the fact that i was able to get to that level with help of a magnifier and a very good tutorial video from warhammer tv and the right colors and stuff was actually really really mm. satisfying and i've really enjoyed lavishing loads of detail and time on these individual hero models um and having done them i've got a few left i've got three left i've got the flamethrower uh pious got Pius to do and i've got the priest to do but i'm not sure i'll probably use the priest in in the game i don't think anyone like again as i said last time not my favorite kind of model in that set and what's the other one i've got um Hmm. the elder yeah the elder and part of the reason i haven't done the elder is a because the pose is a bit weird especially the leg lengths and a lot of the kind of i
1: really like that pose but only as soon as i figured out what it reminded me of <laughs> what does it remind? have me? you ever watched rupaul's drag race uh no i haven't okay you, you should because it's fun but hmm. also so when someone does a runway walk um sorry runway like sort of catwalk hmm. kind of uh, show off of a look on RuPaul's Drag Race. They walk on from stage left, turn, do a pose, and then walk forwards, do their, their bit, and then walk backwards, do a right. pose, and leave again. Yeah. And the uh Eldari Ranger from Blackstone Fortress is doing the pose a lot of people do, a lot of drag queens do, when they're about to either enter or leave the catwalk. Like a sort of like... And suddenly, pose. Like yeah. Wide stance, arm up, you know, <laughs> hand on hip, yeah, and then gone. <laughs> Um, So it is that moment captured. And that's, that seems very appropriate to me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. For an elder. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, My problem with it is actually the, their left leg, which seems like crushed into like, it's very weird. The right leg is very extended and curved And if you actually trace the shin bone through it, it's like, well, you've got a curved shin bone here. It's a very strange kind of uh, 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 limb. But the other limb is also just like crushed into the cape. And if you actually straighten them both out, it feels as though the left limb would be like about 75% the length of the of the yeah. right limb and that for me just breaks the entire pose. <laughs> I don't mind the kind of the showiness of that. It's just always the stance just like looks really wrong to me. Um also I'm, as I was assembling it I managed to snap the sniper rifle oh, no. exactly halfway up. Oh no. Oh, yeah, so it's the smallest possible like area for gluing that thing back on. Uh so that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, that can be really gutting as well. That's going to be, uh, yeah, it's been very difficult to fix that one too. I mean, it's probably going to end up just being like super glue and be very careful with it. Uh, I think, you know, it's still usable, but uh, those two things have kind of like, probably won't use that model now just because, you know, mm. I, I could do like the other ones more and also this thing might be break at any second. Uh, but now we're about to move on to the bad guys done the ghouls which have really really fun to paint cause you mm. just dry brush those and they've got like really exaggerated musculature that just like dry brushes beautifully um, and then do just some nice kind of uh purple glaze on the arms and um some just like light dry, dry brushing to create the blending effect uh i got one of them holding a skull put some like blood from the blood god on them just like nice. kind of, like mess them up a little bit try and make them a little bit different but they, they don't need much doing to them they're just like a lovely fun thing to paint mm. Uh, so I'll do the spindle drones next there. Again, just another fun dry brush job. They're very much dry brush job, yeah. yeah for sure. So I to get them chaos black on them and then go up from black, um, probably with various mm-hmm. kind of grays and things, um, until they look right. Uh, and then I'm going to go on to the Imperial Guard squad because they're, they're sort of the first foes that you f- face and you're going to be regularly fighting them. In yeah, you fight a lot of the uh, traitor guard. So they've got to be done for me. Like they're, they like, I could put off some of the high-level guys and play a few games knowing that the space we probably aren't going to turn up very they literally can't yeah so there's just rules-wise you've got to yeah. get to a certain level before they, they bother with you uh, so I but I want the guard done and actually that's going to be a challenge because there's no there are no painting guides anywhere i can find across like yeah going workshops output to actually know how to do them i couldn't intuit a lot of it a lot of it's black and grays and thunderbolt blues and stuff like that but leather various tones of leather and stuff like that is something i've never been terribly good at especially in a kind of more of a military context where like camo or like camo-ish colors uh, i'm not used to painting those colors so i need mm. to figure out some formulas and some kind of approaches to it i think my approach to them
1: because i had them on next on the table before i sort of started taking a different tack or painting mm. but there's a lot of different materials on those models, but every material on those models will probably take an Agrax wash. Hmm. So like from the metals to the various kinds of leathers. So, you know, my plan is to do them very similar to my dark stuff. So, you know, maybe basing the darker leathers in something like Bite Dinge, which Hmm. is like a slightly brownish dark gray, but also using like Xandry dust for the yellower leathers, which Hmm. um, also takes Agrax really well. And then with like a single highlight, like they don't need loads of, because there's a lot of different materials on them, It's more like the proportion shifts. The The base coating time is going to be longer because there's more different materials to cover up. So, like, I would say Abaddon Black, Skaven Black Dinge, Sandry Dust, Corn Red, like, a few other... And then Lead Bulter, obviously, for the metal bits. But when all of that's done, and then, obviously, whatever skin tones you want to do, when all of that's done... An Agrax wash will cover most of it mm. to the point where it's almost done. Yeah. Like you then don't need to do like two highlights on every material, right? Because there are so many materials that they'll break up your sort of visual sense of the model mm. regardless. Yeah. Like you need more highlights when there are fewer different materials on a model. So there's less sort of visual interest. You don't want to create too much m- like mess almost. Like Yeah. Much- you yeah. could spend loads of time on them. Yeah. But like, you know, for those, like um the way I found handy for doing leather is... Uh, like a base coat that's like the medium tone, then a wash, then a dry brush, because that creates a scratchy effect. Mm, yeah. And then like a proper um edge highlight of a slightly lighter color. And mm. that's basically done. Mm. Like you may be not done to the extent that you would want for
2: a, a hero, but for, for, yeah, yeah just, for uh, this bag probably, absolutely fine. Yeah. Like yeah. you could even stop at the dry brush face probably. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's useful. Uh, yeah, I just need to figure out some colors that go well together. Um, and also because they're they're actually two units of seven really yeah there are two units of seven uh, so I, I want to th- pay the duplicates differently so they aren't yeah obviously exactly the same my plan is to
1: swap the the dark grey and the yellow okay so one of them has dark grey trousers the other one yeah, has yeah that I
2: works yeah that'll work pick two base colours and swap them that's mm, cool, cool. Yes, yeah, so that's been my stuff, uh, this month. i am not really paid much else, to be honest, but that's a lovely project to be getting on with. Yeah. But, uh, I think you've been decent call, Chris. Um, I've done quite a bit this month. Like,
1: so basically I, I, so after the last time we recorded, I decided to sort of like try and tackle my backlog kind of head on. So mm. I made a spreadsheet, like listing literally everything. Oh, cool. Got rid of some stuff. Um, I think maybe I had done this before we recorded. I'm not sure exactly where it fell. Um, um and a few things happened that have helped me kind of just get through more stuff. So I ended up um getting some of those big sort of paint storage boxes, the new oh, yeah. ones, and I find them really useful. Partly because I wasn't storing my p- paints in a particularly organised way, but also they come with these sort of that they're, they're divided into sort of trays, basically the sort of these hex grids yeah. which you plug paints into. And I found myself building like a hex grid for a given project and trying to challenge myself to like fit an entire units worth of colors onto a single grid of paints. Mm. So I don't want to paint that thing. I just take that grid out and, and do that. So I did that for my Rohan stuff, for example, that oh, I've been working on. Cool. Yeah. Um. So sort of organizing my time in a different way has been really, really helpful. But the other thing that's been really helpful is a slight change in attitude where I am no longer tremendously worried about having a backlog as long as I'm constantly painting stuff. Mm. So I don't really want to think about finishing units or finishing armies or being done with this particular hot project so much as I just kind of want to be constantly painting stuff that I'm enjoying and so I basically spent the month just doing something and then doing something else Mm. and like jumping around my backlog in a way that maybe doesn't make any sense but has meant that I've like consistently produced stuff I like this month whereas normally I might spend a month doing steps on a massive task like like last year when I spent six months painting Zango yeah and so this month I, in January, I painted seven, um, uh, more Ro- Rohan, uh, sort of warriors, of Rohan foot soldiers for the Lord of the Rings battle game, mm. as well as three horses and one complete rider of Rohan, um, which I've been doing for a Middle Earth battle companies game. And we should talk about Middle Earth game at some point. Like, yeah. I'd like to play it with you because yeah, you really yeah. like it, but That's I've been playing cool. that a little bit and really enjoying it. Um, and really enjoying painting those models, really enjoying painting something a little bit more
2: lo-fi. Um, yeah, I was, sorry to interrupt, but like, I was really curious about the scale and how that really changes your approach to models, how it feels different. It's, so, um, that's
1: been, yeah, it's been a really interesting thing because they are smaller. They are a lot smaller. That's a good beer sorry. crack. That was a, that was a loud, but good beer cracking no, sound. No good time to do it. No, um, but, um, the, so yeah so but actually that's been a really useful learning so i am slowly learning when you can stop doing things Mm. like my problem with painting quickly and with painting generally i think has been traditionally finding really complicated ways of doing things and i think in picking zinch is my first like big army project i gave myself that problem because it's full of materials that could all definitely use a bit more time Mm. you know like that just invites time investment but with the Rohan stuff I've been doing, because it's sort of simple materials, there's a point where it's done. Yeah. And also they take, um, Agrax washes really well. So I think I maybe talked about this in the last episode, but my approach has been to simply like, uh, I wrote down my, my stages and I, I base coat everything. I wash them with Agrax and then I have a sort of two stage shading and highlighting process for those models and it works really nicely. Hmm. And the scale difference actually helps a lot because you get, um, because they're smaller, the details you do manage to put in feel more impressive, mm. but then not that much harder to implement. And it also means that the models are, are shorter on fiddly details that require you to make exceptions to your paint scheme. Okay. Or like suddenly do a different technique or something. Yeah. Like the downside to that is that sometimes the sculpts can be a little bit dodgy and sometimes you've literally got to paint the the detail Hmm. onto it. But I actually find that easier than suddenly going to trying to figure out how do I paint this sack that's hanging from this person's belt in a way that stands out without breaking the color scheme, Mm. like asks fewer questions of you. Like I know, you know, when I write my painting guides for myself, I write them in terms of materials like cloth is this color or the a variant is this color and the B variant is this color. Mm. And that is harder and harder to do with, new games workshop models generally because they're so covered in exceptions whereas the smaller lord of the rings stuff look really good when they're just coherent with each other Mm. and then you can make small differences like hair color things like that but you don't need them to be massive differences because there's so many of them and they're much
2: Mm. more like game pieces it's really interesting like maybe the pressure to design larger models um means that the designers want to fill that space with jewels and bags and bits um yeah just as a way of also almost justifying the size of the model uh and it's hard to make a large model that is just dressed in ropes with nothing on them because yeah. you feel as though you had to have more on there and that almost also people appreciate that extra detail because it's a sign of the scale of the designer and the molding process involved whereas maybe in those smaller spaces you can going do so, so much and you're almost just trying to get the fancy across as simply as possible yeah in that space and i really like how that stuff all looks when they're all together now well, yeah like because
1: they reward kind of looking at them closely but mm-hmm. also you know they are evocative at a distance because you know you got just enough highlight on there to kind of mm. you know make the right things pop yeah they make the right things pop but you don't have to worry about it beyond that yeah so after doing them i then painted a necron crypt deck Ooh, because why not yeah um because um, it? it's been on my, I love the model. It's been on my pile for a while. I I love Necrons. Um, I've discovered, like I, I'm not gonna, I'm not afraid to say it. And this is this point where I admit that after the resolutions I made in the previous episode, I also bought the Necron Battle Force. Tom, no, <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> went <laughs> mad. But no, it was partly because it was like I realized this month. Like the the good thing about this approach I've taken this month is I realized this stuff I really enjoy painting. Mm. I really like doing the Necron stuff as well because. There are parts of it that feel so easy they like cheating, like lead belcher spray, mm. non-oil gloss, what, uh, dry brush, yeah, and yeah. the metal bits, and most of the really model is done. But what that lets you do is focus on detail placement and the other bits and basing and stuff like that. Mm. And that crypt deck has like, I, I, it's not a perfect way of judging things, but like, it's interesting what blows up on Instagram, what doesn't. Hmm. And like the crypt Deck is one of the most popular things I've ever posted to my oh, Instagram cool, feed. Cool. And I think being 40 K helps because there's, there are far more 40 K fans around, yeah, yeah. but there's also a sense of like, um, I'm learning a lot about how to like, you know, sort of get to the, get to the point where a model really like, um, does everything it needs to do, hmm. you know, like, like the
2: fantasy it, just, yeah. Shouts out like,
1: at yeah, that, that model is expressing what it wants. I want it to express hmm. done. You know, like, yeah. usually means a little bit of extra effort with basing that kind of thing. But the, the, and this will be, maybe this is the story of this year for me, but like, I really want to figure out what the things are that really actually make something appealing to someone else. Mm. Cause I think I've been traditionally, I've needed no help finding ways to make things more complicated or to find ways of sort of pleasing myself with, like, sudden, like, subtle color variations between models in a unit and things that mean something to me but aren't observable unless you stare at my models, which no one will ever do right. other than me. Hmm. Right. Whereas, you know, and it's, it this links back to discussions I think we've had on this podcast before about, like, what kind of armies win best army competitions at tournaments and things yeah. where I suspect it's as often to do with a bold color choice and great basing mm. as it is to do with like the technical execution of anything in, in particular. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. Like what looks, what looks good to people versus what you are personally kind of like invested in mm. is a really interesting tension to me. So I did that cryptek, really enjoyed painting it. Um, and then I did a chaos Lord, um, which was, had been sitting on my painting desk for a while finishing up was really fun but really challenging in trying to like pick the right colors um for what i am hoping to do but i also really enjoyed it to the extent that it was one of the things that inspired that those two models inspired me going out and just spending a decent number of pounds on armies for both darkness and necrons because awesome. it was like i really like both of these mm-hmm. and i like the considerations that have gone into it um like trying to set a color scheme for chaos undivided where I have been working on having like met, a lot of metals that are like relatively neutral, like just sort of dark iron Mm -hmm. and like dull gold, but like with other colors kind of orbiting it in interesting ways. So I repainted his weapon. So it's got this kind of like flaming ember effect, which I've used on a bunch of different things. Um, but is, it is for me a sort of more neutral kind of chaos effect, like regular colored flame is like a relatively neutral chaos thing (laughs) right? whereas the green flame that is significant to my my Zinch stuff is more specific to them Mm. and also having the cape which has goes to dark red at the bottom and having um, rather than being stood on like a grassy field he stood on a kind of he looks like he's standing on a barbecue there's no other way of getting around it but he looks like he's standing on a barbecue but like trying to sort of find these places to put interesting bursts of colour in among this kind of like flat background is kind of like how I want to do Slaves to Darkness Mm where you sort of see the kind of um the freakiness growing out at the edges of those models and that's been really really interesting and fun to plan mm. and it's given me an idea actually for how I want to do my safe to darkness and I don't know how, if this idea is really going to hold up from a fictional point of view but the idea is I kind of want to have you know chaos undivided literally so that you know is sort of free form worship of all of the gods but have them angling slightly more towards slanesh because the idea being rather than rather than slanesh meaning this sort of explosion of sort of sensory you know you know bright purple tentacles it being more about like the sort of the arrogance and the ego and the nihilism that comes with believing yourself to be capable of you sort of yoking every individual god to your (laughs) to your needs (laughs) to your needs what you want yeah yeah so it's like the sort of the monstrous ego of it Mm -hmm. is the slaneshi element right and so like even my sort of uh like the chaos stuff i've done so far which is these like black helms over dark armor Mm. there's like this sort of like slaneshi arrogance bubbling up underneath and so the slaneshness is sort of expressed through like nihilism rather than Sort of excess, but it might be just about to bubble over into excess. It's mm-hmm. like something I've been thinking about with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took a big left turn and did a bunch more corn, which you mentioned, um, because of we had a, a, a newer playing a skirmish game, but also, you know, it's fun to just bounce into something completely different. Yeah. So, um, I painted a aspiring Deathbringer as a leader for my corn army. Um, really pleased with how he came out. Really fun to paint, uh, fun to build a base for. Um and I also painted a a leader for the uh the skull reapers, which are kind of like the corn elite infantry like the corn paladin equivalent yeah um who is a man who will feature somewhat in our battle report mm. which we have already recorded so i'm kind of tweaking out of order a little bit here but like um that is an older sculpt i think it might be an end times era sculpt but it's the same kit that makes the wrathmongers which i don't really like who are the people with flails, no, not basically is. this is the variant where they have like various dual demonic weapons um and it's basically a topless dude with um a big demon axe and i've been you know trying to figure out what like demon flesh looks like for my corn who have much more muted colour scheme mm. so it's sort of like dark grey flesh that's catching fire at the edges um, but also this guy's been blessed with demonic gifts, and I didn't realize how dumb this model was till I built it. But that demonic gifts in this case means that he has a big crab claw mm. and a scorpion tail, and I guess maybe it's a scorpion tail, but
2: it's a weird looking guy, Tom. He's really a weird get looking rap. guy for sure. This is, this is his, whole, his whole facial expression and everything. Like everything about him is slightly weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just like
1: I think the way I have tried to like frame him is, you know, technically he's clearly more blessed with with sort of cornate you know demonic gifts mm. than anyone else in in this growing corn force but i suspect just no one likes him because <laughs> right. he got weird ones <laughs> like everyone wants to turn into a bu- fucking balrog right <laughs> that's the promise <laughs> right yeah yeah corn you know, for sure. like i've
2: turned into a bit of a crab <laughs> like uh, yeah all right ian yeah <laughs> mutated sideways yeah exactly to mutate upwards. um but it's been really fun
1: to do sort of bounce around between projects like that and and tick things off the list and i'm
2: adding to the list probably a a rate i won't catch up with but um it gives you the freedom to pivot doesn't it like having those models there just means like well maybe this weekend i'll break out this battle force and start trying this yeah and i think the the old mindset i had was
1: like i need to finish my zinch before i do anything else Mm. and i've still got base coated kyra acolytes waiting to be painted and they will get painted Mm. next thing on my painting table however is the dark oath for underwater yeah and like but it teaches you what you actually enjoy Mm. i think just jumping around like i realized that i wasn't excited about painting space marines so i got rid of my space marines yeah you know and i'll just do other things for a while Mm. and i've still got some you know i've got adeptus mechanicus and gene steel cult stuff waiting left over from forge bane and the kill team box but i don't mind if they take a while to get to yeah because i like both i love both sets of models but you know i'd I'd love to do a necron army this year i think and Mm. i you know i just kind of yeah, it, it, it helps a lot to, I think, just sort of paint lots of different things and, and let that guide what your interest actually is. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I like that. It's been quite positive, really. Yeah, it's been positive. Um, I mean, it obviously led to me completely breaking my rule about expanding my shame, but <laughs> you
2: know. no, that's really cool. I love the idea. To me, Blackstone Fortress feels like a series of short buzz mm. projects because they all have, they're all made of different materials. They've all got different vibes and colour schemes and things and I found that really refreshing as well it's one of the things I've most enjoyed about it also not having to paint gold hardly ever (laughs) on anything it's been wonderful
1: yeah I think I think that's the thing is this this method of painting has made it feel less like a job Mm. because often I think you get into the sense of like even I was you know fully planning to keep working through and Fortress until I finished it but that felt like a way for my brain to go this is when you know you're done Mm. you know this is a way to paint a lot of different things without feeling like you're going completely off the rails yeah uh, and actually it's been fun to just bounce between things mm. and um you know recently my painting has taken place in in our living room and and my partner puts really into jigsaws so we sort of sit and i paint and, and she does a puzzle and yeah. it's Hobby really time it's really nice yeah, it's like and it doesn't really matter what i'm painting because it's not become about what i'm actually doing it's become about sort of just the time you spend doing it mm. and that is i think a much healthier approach. And it's, I'm still processing this and it might be something I discuss return to, but it's changed the way I think about my chain pile as well, because it's gone from being, oh God, I've got to finish this or else I have wasted this investment or whatever to being, okay, this is what I've got. What do I actually want to do? Yeah, And so it's actually becomes a sort of broader possibility space of like, maybe I fancy doing some terrain. Mm. I'll go and do some of that terrain I've been leaving rather than like, okay, must plan and schedule this because the goal is to no longer have this, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: So let's talk about this month's game we played. Yeah, it feels like after the last game we played, the biggest game of Age of Sigma we've ever played, with massive consequences, it felt like we had to reset maybe maybe take take the scale down a little bit.
1: Yeah, and this is our also opportunity to try out the new Age of Sigmar Skirmish rules. Yep. Which were published in White Dwarf. And, and also to be clear, um, because we've done this before, we're recording this battle report sort of, or battle discussion, I guess, uh, first hmm. ahead of doing the rest of the podcast. So I suspect we're going to talk about white dwarf and, and some of the things yep. in this month's issue. Um, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> this is us bouncing off the, the skirmish element specifically and kind of putting these rules to the test. Yep. And so, um, This was like I don't think I was necessarily expecting them to completely reissue Skirmish through the magazine like this. No, and it is a very lightweight set of adjustments in order to make Skirmish play possible. Mm. But at a top level, I kind of um, I immediately appreciate the kind of sensible changes that have been made, particularly when it comes to things like um, warband composition
2: and so on yeah it loosens things up a little bit like your warband has um has to adhere to one of the grand alliances but there are no particular rules for what percentage of your force is made up of any particular you know army within that grand alliance mm. so you could create a kind of a cool mishmash mob of order or chaos or something like that and and run them all together we didn't today we stuck to our our favorite kind of you know mm. grand alliances um but yeah that's a really nice move uh it feels like the pointing is less restrictive in terms of the heroes you can take and stuff like that feels like there's more available at least yeah so you know one of the biggest changes is determining the
1: sort of skirmish points value of a unit is more to do it is a formula now Mm. rather than sort of skirmish points values being issued yes which means this rule set even though it's obviously (coughs) never going to be perfect and i think skirmish is still a a part of the game where you kind of agree to certain common sense kind of (laughs) let's not mess around with this sort of elements um, but with that in mind, it's still possible to sort of, um, kind of create a warband out of any model you've got, as long as it has a points value for a regular Age of Sigma match play, which is a really good mm. kind of mechanism. And I suspect, cause I think I'm listening to some of the recent official, uh, Warhammer Age of Sigma podcasts and things. I know that the design team for the game has a formula for determining approximately what the points value of like a new unit should be right. based on its wound count amount of attacks, that kind of thing. Yeah, makes sense. And I suspect that this is a sort of a version of that, like a reverse engineered version of that. Mm. So, you know, for in a given unit, you take the sort of match play points cost of that unit and then divide it by the minimum size of that unit in regular Age of Sigmar to get the per model points value mm. and then add five points if it's a unit champion with whatever buff that gives you and add five points if it has a special weapon with whatever benefits that gives you. And that's a really simple formula that actually works really well, because it's still, hmm. you feel like you're in, you know, in, in old skirmish, you maybe feel like you're gaming the system a bit, making sure all your guys have special weapons or whatever. Yeah. Now it feels like an
2: investment. Yeah. Like sort of bolting a gear system onto AOS, which it doesn't otherwise have. Hmm. It's not too complicated. And I really like the idea that they're, uh the barrier for having access to skirmish rules is a six pound magazine rather than maybe like a, I can't remember how much the book was for skirmish. a six pound book. Um, it wasn't a very expensive book oh the original skirmish yeah oh that's reasonable then um but yeah i, I like the idea that it's kind of part of the new white dwarf and that that increases the scope of what white dwarf could do which i'm sure we've spoken about already the <laughs> podcast. Uh, but yeah it works really well um and i think it's good i think you do have to uh as chris says just common sense it and narrative it and not sort of i think it, there's going to be stuff that breaks it inevitably there's going to be certain hero combinations and like um the ridiculous brand switch spell and the way that targets units and a unit every individual is a unit um that that stuff is still going to be like overpowered probably uh but playing sensibly it's perfectly good um it's perfectly good setup and Mm -hmm. you're gonna get some good games out of it and the white dog comes with a bunch of scenarios as well yeah like loads and i think it's an ongoing support thing as well so Mm -hmm. they're going to give
1: campaign rules and more scenarios in the next yeah nice in the next issue so it's gonna grow this was very much. This wasn't necessarily the start of a skirmish campaign for us, or with any persistence. It was just us trying out the the rules. Yeah, but it was an excuse to get playing again. And I think it's been a while since both of us played AOS.
2: So it was kind of a nice, <laughs> yeah, slightly relearn some stuff. Uh I, was, I don't know a few rules checks, but yeah, it yeah, it was good. Easy so, enough. um I I wanted to bring
1: corn to this, so the, mm. the new corn stuff that I had painted up. So my aspiring Deathbringer and uh, ludicrous scorpion man. Uh. <laughs> He's hilarious. No, really um, care. who is a, a skull reaper champion who has a scorpion tail and a scorpion claw and big horns and may like, I think has been blessed by corn with just looking like a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, there's a sense he's not very well liked within the war band, but it's nice to have a few more extra sort of models in the Corn war band and actually one mm-hmm. big change. So we went for 250 points pretty much. We're really. yes. close to 245 for balance, but. Uh, 250 points is the sort of recommended match play level for, uh, new skirmish. And compared to what you would get at the kind of recommended starting point for old skirmish, mm. it's true. You get dramatically more. So, you know, old skirmish had the problem of you needed to have a hero and a few other models to start with. Yeah. And that was impossible for some factions because yeah. the heroes would be like, you know, starting point values would be 25 to 30 points and you would you'd have a hero that was 24 points <laughs> and it was like okay that's almost my entire thing yeah whereas both of us had 100 point heroes and like a decent chunk of extra models mm. so i had my aspiring deathbringer three regular blood warriors with two weapons the uh, skull reaper champion scorpion man and a blood crusher so a big metal man
2: riding a big metal rhino yeah he looks rad uh, i wanted to try and use some uh, Stormcast units I'd never really get the chance to use in match play or larger scale games because they're perhaps not as efficient, um, but in Skirmish they're a laugh. Uh, so I took three Griffhounds um, <laughs> and I took uh, a prosecutor, who I never tend to normally use in the games, even they're not bad, um, and I, the general, the hero was uh, a Knight Zephyros i really um, love that model yeah the model's super good especially if she leaves me off a rock with two axes about to mess up some heroes um yeah she's basically a stormcast assassin really like the, the idea is that she's super fast and that she's like she can ride the winds etheric on the back of some griff charges if mm. there are any griff charges around and then pop out and murder a hero that's kind of her her whole fantasy that what she's about um what else did I have i also had uh, her bodyguard which is uh, a sequitur with uh, a great mace and that was it i think mm. yeah yeah so it's more manageable and mobile yeah mm. and so and this also gave us our kind of like
1: story hook because yes. this is the first aos game we've played since the um the big honk <laughs> that signaled the end of the final the last campaign and this yeah. isn't necessarily the start of a new arc but something i've been thinking about about the way that tom winning that campaign affects the landscape of the story is it basically makes it very difficult now that all of these sort of realm gates are within the control of order that mm. kind of thing it makes it very difficult for demons to manifest so like my old kind of demon heavy force is kind of going away yeah and makes it very difficult for them to manifest in this particular part of the metal <coughs> but it's not um, but that doesn't mean that every chaos worshiper has vanished or these sort of old chaos factions that have been knocking around have gone mm. So it's more like the sort of followers of of Korn, Slaves to Darkness, also Zeech cultists and things have kind of gone underground. Mm. And now the sort of task facing the Stormcast less sort of rather than defending against the kind of massive onslaught from one particularly corrupted part of the landscape, it's more like kind of guerrilla war Mm. and like, you know, um, trying to counter these sort of chaos forces wherever they rise up. And I think that gives a
2: nice role for your like for your Stormcast Vanguard to play. Yeah. Cause that is really what they're for it's, in the story as it's well. their whole purpose and their whole fantasy is that. Um, I like the idea that maybe Fort Sanchez has been re- rebuilt and they're actually like bastions of order now. Mm. And, and actually the Stormcast activity here is more about sending out raiding parties and the Knight Zephros is perfect for that because she's an assassin. Like she's designed to just carve, like target certain corrupt elements, just carve them out, destroy them and then return to base. Uh, so these kind of, this is one of those raids, I think. Mm. And the, 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 a prosecutor who's like a winged stormcast with a pair of hammers that he can throw. Um, like he was basically like a scout who goes ahead and the others are on the ground and they kind of, it's like a fast attack force that seeks out chaos and then <coughs> strikes when when they spot a, a good target. Yeah. And that's what happened in this skirmish battle.
1: I think that's the thing I really like about skirmish battles is they feel much closer to the way Warhammer combat happens in the novels where you have this sort mm. of mix of different units. Yes. Yeah. And so you can kind of imagine the personalities of the individuals, individuals which is the point of skirmish combat, I think, yeah. in, in every yeah. game system. Yeah um so um so the yeah and and so my my corn force my i I think i've decided now i think i may have even i've said this that i'm kind of happy to keep my corn force to kind of like an elite thousand points and not kind of overdo corn beyond that Mm. so i've always seen my kind of deathbringer as being probably the leader of this army like rather than go for a mighty lord of corn or one of the kind of more traditional leaders yeah because i really like the model um, so I kind of like the idea that this might've been like a raid by Corn, but with the Zephyros coming in, maybe with the express purpose of both repelling this sort of, uh, chaos force, but also particularly assassinating these
2: leaders, like yeah, coming yeah. in to kind of like try and cut their head off the eight headed snake. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, I think, so we did play an, uh, an objective based game with three objectives. Uh, yeah. So there's an objective capture involved, but it was definitely, I think with the Zephyros that she hunts heads, that's with a two twin axes and, and lightning fast strikes. Like, and we'll thing. put this picture, I think, in, in the show
1: notes, or maybe it's the image for this episode, but like this, so both the Deathbringer and the Knight Zephyros are running and holding two <laughs> yes. weapons in, in a kind of, in sort of matched poses. Mm. They're running in different directions, which is cool because mm. it means that they, naturally charge one another like like i had this thought while we were playing this game that like if i ever wanted to do a dual diorama i might just take the deathbringer i've already done Mm. and paint up a Zephyros yeah facing him because
2: they they really naturally the the pose is really supernatural so i suspect we've got another rivalry on our hands between two different heroes new heroes and new kind of new styles like um and we had the last podcast knows how how messed up tantris is now he's just so 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 broken (laughs) uh and uh i like the idea of these kind of fresh new recruits coming in and actually shaking things up and you know yeah a different type of war different type of armies yeah so the the scenario we played was
1: from the new right Dwarf. it's called hold the center and it's basically you know a fairly like so it's it's sort of diagonal deployment but in a sensible way that it wasn't too difficult to figure out yeah uh three objectives one in the center between the two deployment zones and two to the either side the side objectives being worth one point each, the central one being worth two points hmm. um, and control of an objective, which I think is a universal rule for skirmish is determined by whoever has more models within three inches rather than it being a sort of, you know,
2: big bubble wholly within big bubble. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Cause um, the objectives are like 12 inches away from another objective and given the average running speed of a model and, Age of Sigma, it's just a very well balanced. Means that they're, they're just far enough apart for you to have to make decisions, but they're close enough that you can do runs and things to try and change up the the. Yeah, it the means points. like a good charge can cover the distance yeah. between objectives, which is yeah so about right. That gives you
1: space to actually manoeuvre and change change the game. So yeah, so um and and like and it's interesting because we both had like my army had no ranged at all, so mm. all. All melee weapons all the time, basically, no way of doing damage outside of the combat phase, yeah, but loads of things that sort of react off that, which I think this time was the time I got a handle on why corn stuff is good mm. um, so there are fun things like the fact that blood warriors um always fight so if if you kill a blood warrior in the combat phase, it fights you immediately, so it doesn't really matter. Um, when you kill them to mm. some extent, which in Skirmish, which has, you know, a much more, you know, because every model is a unit that the good, one of the best parts of AOS that kind of deciding who goes first in combat becomes much more complicated. Yeah. Because there's, far, there's loads of it happening. Yeah. But also Blood Warriors is complicating that in a really cool way because you can maybe fight and kill a Blood Warrior, but it will still get to fight you. So that kind of introduced all these really cool complexities, but like that compared to like the sheer durability of the Stormcast. I don't know. It was, kind of, it was a fun... We got a fun game
2: out of basically just melee combats, mm. which I really liked. And that's something that you've kind of perhaps always missed out of Siege because Siege has some melee competencies, but not much really, like corner, yeah. corner there to fight. And I do, I do really, really like the close combat phase of the game. It's still my favorite because of the activations thing. Yeah. And um, because it always matters and because there you have so many ways of moving in and out of combat, like run retreats. If you've got flying units, they can retreat in certain ways to get onto objective. So I, thought, I always find getting in and out of combat to be a really interesting game and the combat itself with activations to be a really interesting game as well i think that whole phase is uh, they've nailed it really yeah yeah and it works really well in skirmish we, uh, so in skirmish every single individual cancels a unit basically so you activate them all separately as though there's different units which is why that you get a lot of intrigue in the combat phase mm. um, so we should talk about went down so basically i finished setting up first which
1: meant that um uh so you
2: took the first turn basically i did yeah uh, basically rushed out, I sent the dogs after one objective, all of them. Uh, I sent the prosecutor, perhaps unwisely, to the central objective, and I would say the central objective scores two, and the the mm. peripheral objective score one each. Uh, so, there's always, it's a pretty standard Warhammer scenario yeah. balance. Um, I lined up the Zethros and her, uh, sort of bodyguard, the Zequita, uh, to go after the other peripheral point. And basically just moved out and just scored four points straight off the bat. Uh, I've got a few, like, basic ranged attacks, but they they whiffed if they're in range. And that was it. It was basically just straightforward first turn. Yeah. grab the objective, score four, and now I'll try not to get too messed up for the rest of the game. <laughs> to try and hold on to that four lead. Right, yeah. So my first turn, I... Because my plan had been to
1: send... So my plan had been from the start, um, wait to see where you're deploying the dogs. Yes. And deploy the Scorpion Man. mm um, in a position to contest wherever they go, because I assumed they would go for one of the objectives. Mm. And the reason for that is the scorpion... I misunderstood something about... And I keep forgetting this about the dogs. <laughs> is that the dogs have more wounds than the Stormcast. They <laughs> do. I don't have any armor save, but they've got three wounds each. Yeah, so I always assumed they are going to be easier to kill than a Stormcast. And I think it's somewhat of a toss-up if you have Rend. Mm. Like, it's, you know, because Rend doesn't do anything against the dogs because they don't have saves. Yeah, so, they care, for sure. So the extra wounds... um But the idea is... So the the scorpion man, one of his rules is... um when he kills one... Th- in Skirmish, it's interesting because the way it works in um, in base AOS is when you've killed a number of models equal to the current number of models in the Skull Reaper unit, they re-roll failed hits. Yeah, And when you've killed double the number of models um, compared to the number of models in the Skull Reaper units, they re-roll um, wounds as well. Mm. But with one Skull Reaper, that means one kill is re-roll hits, two kills is reroll roll wounds. Yeah. Which is a nice way of Bending skirm you know, bending skirmish towards the, you know, to, to get an advantage. Mm. So my idea was always throw the scorpion man at the dogs so he can kill them just and just get the buff basically. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that was actually not a great idea because <laughs> the dogs collectively amount to like nine wounds worth <laughs> of dog. But anyway, so, um, you'd send all the dogs in one direction. So I sent him in that direction. Um, and then I sent the, uh, blood crusher. Uh, basically I was in the position where even though blood warriors are quite slow, five inch move, um, all of them would be able to move normally into a sort of seven or eight inch charge. And then I got a really good series of charges off. Hmm. So in that one charge phase, the scorpion man made it into the dogs, uh, and therefore contesting that objective. <clears throat> My leader and another blood warrior made it into the prosecutor in the middle and the skull crusher on his rhino kind of burst through a little ruined doorway. And smashed into both, uh, he rolled a double six, so it was a 12 inch charge, um, smashed into both the sequitur and the Zephyros. Mm. And because he has a chance to do mortal wounds when he charges, he did uh, one mortal wound to the sequitur. Um, but then in that combat phase, I whiffed almost everything. Mm. Like the, the, the skull crusher whiffed everything. Um, the, um, my, my leader whiffed everything. So the, the, the scorpion man did one wound to a dog with his scorpion tail. Yes. And that was it. Because <laughs> the other wound was the mortal wound to the sequitur, but that wasn't in the combat phase. That was just, that was just the charge. The charge thing. Yeah. So it, it was a sort of a really good sort of high impact kind of start, but it meant that I couldn't get any of the directives off you mm. because, well, I could get the central one off you because I outnumbered you there. Yeah. But the rest of it was just sort of like, oh shit. And I, um, and I lost the, uh, skull
2: crusher for my trouble got torn apart by the sequitur and yeah. your Zephyros. Yep, got his head chopped off. Um, and that was quite, you know, quite a lot of wounds in that big old, uh, big old boar. So I was quite pleased to have him off and he's quite mobile as well. So like if he claims one point and kills some stuff, mm. he can just go to another place and be replaced by a mook. Um, so yeah, there was, it was an interesting, interestingly poised. I like these multiple objective skirmish battles. Our favorite is that we tend to play normally is, um, the treasure hunt one where there are like, yeah. which I think they've adapted slightly to have five points now rather than mm. four. Um, those are the ones where you roll to activate them. But in this, it's just, yeah, ha- how can you hold what, how long? Um, and it was, yeah um so after that i think i got the turn back yeah we we there were no double turns in this whole game no no actually it was actually like back and forth of the whole thing was. yeah actually maybe right at the end there was a double turn Mm. but yeah uh so essentially the 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 top uh objective where my uh zephyros and sequitur killed the boar i left the sequitur on one wound on that top objective just to sort of like keep hold of that one pointer yeah and set the zephyros after the center having seen what she could probably actually do uh i also had an uh one of the items on earth artifacts that gave her extra rend so her she's like rend two with six attacks which is very good against heavily uh, armored corn heavily armored corn yeah so she, she she was like pretty well placed to take out a lot of them so she, she started rushing towards the middle uh, you the, also committed your third dog yes. to the the big multi-dog versus yeah. scorpion man melee it was three dogs on scorpion man and that was a very, it's a good, very good photos from <laughs> absurd, absurd combat. Uh, and that was it. Yeah. I can't remember what I really killed. I think I just, so that, that, that turn, bit. that combat phase
1: went heavily towards me, despite yeah. it being your second turn. Right. I killed the prosecutor, mm. a dog, uh, with the tail again. His, <laughs> yes. his demon axe was useless. The
2: tail was doing mixed. all the work. And, um, the secretary was like in transit. No, the, the Zephyros was in transit. Yeah. She people. was running between the two. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, and then it was over to you.
1: Yeah, and so I, I sort of had a decision to make. Once the prosecutor had died was, I realized that I didn't want to be fighting your Zephyrus on one of the objectives. Right. I'd rather leave someone on the objective to keep scoring it. Yes. And fight you in the middle, mm. basically where you were. So I, um, I charged the way I sort of moved the two guys that had failed their charges and the guys who charged into the middle. Was to put one person onto that central point to score the two points because I was I was at a heavy points deficit at the start mm. and then really wasn't able to score something in my first turns because all I could do is contest yeah and have maybe an equal number of people on those points and so I moved my general and another blood warrior off the central point and threw them towards the Zephyros and then put another guy in a position where depending on the size of his charge roll he could either charge the secretary in the corner or or your general yeah and the thought there was that. So the the Deathbringer has a really good command ability, and so command points are a, a fun thing. Like mm. being able to reroll charges or or set run rolls to six is just as important in skirmish as it is in um, the regular game. And actually, because um, there are fewer units, and that that sort of bubble of command around your general is so important, it's actually a kind of a fun thing to be able to do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So um, his um the Deathbringer's command ability adds plus one to the attacks characteristic of every weapon carried by a Mortal corn model within 10 inches of him, mm, that's really nice. which is really good because in having this fight with the Zephyros in the sort of no man's land between two objectives, mm. it covered both of the objectives as well as the fight in the center. Yeah. So it meant that I could throw a Blood Warrior into your sequitur in the corner amp him up with that command ability. And then that blood warrior was capable of taking the secret out mm. and seizing that corner objective for me. Yeah. Um, grab the center with someone who wasn't in charge range. The
2: endless dog fight just <laughs> continues in the corner. Yeah. They really cancel each other
1: out. They, yeah. They just, um, so maybe we haven't dwelled on that enough. Basically, Neither were able to do anything to each other, really. Mm. Three dogs versus one scorpion man. That's a wash. That's a eventually. wash. <laughs> yeah. yeah was like, like forever. um, so they were just sort of fighting each other in the corner forever. Um, and then it was this huge clash between a big chunk of my remaining stuff and the Zephyros. Yeah. And, um, my general with his six to eight attacks when he uses his own command ability the the turn i he gave, had eight attacks he whiffed all of them, every, none of them like so she uh, actually created ones. this really sort of dramatic moment because um even though they're quite similar like by default they're both dual wielding heroes that cost a 100 mm. points with six attacks yeah the zephyros is a hero assassin and the deathbringer is designed to wade through chaff mm. so it felt appropriate
2: that when they met each other she had quite a big advantage She just neutralized him in combat like i could imagine them just like a a blur of axes and she was like deflecting all these blows as he was like trying to attack it was a cool duel basically it was a cool duel yeah uh they're really well matched i can't remember what happened next i think it was um so i had lost the top uh peripheral point the central one you had already and there was a kind of stalemate happening towards the other end Mm. and basically like i i basically stayed in this situation for a while just killing stuff with the zephyros yeah um so like another blood warrior charger i think yeah you also had to retreat so you lost you did eventually lose two of the dogs i did and retreat the third one yes so i sort of abandoned that bottom point and thought well if i'm gonna have any chance at all of scoring enough, I funny to yeah. get, get this dog in range of the central point so i uh retreat ran uh, and use command points to turn the run to a six, and the dogs are pretty quick anyway, so was, they was almost the dog was almost able to get into range to cancel out at that point or you know start to give me a chance to retreat onto it with my Zephyros and score it um, but there was the three inch bubble from the um the one uh a blood warrior who's standing there that's just about stopped him from getting in, in mm-hmm. range at the point uh so wasn't quite able to cap it so dramatically uh, and then meanwhile the Zephyros was just like chopping up a blood warrior and sort of like laying into your general yeah so the the zephyrus and my general uh, and the
1: deathbringer got each other down to one wound and two wounds yeah um respectively the zephyrus um managed to kill my deathbringer
2: yep General. Herodine. But
1: I got through the battle shark without a problem, which is mm. good. By this point, I'd sort of gotten quite a big points lead. Mm. The, um, uh, blood warrior on the point managed to kill the dog that <laughs> yes. rushed towards him. Mm. And then sort of on my final turn, my fifth turn, I threw basically every remaining blood warrior at the Zephyros, more well, for plot reasons <laughs> yeah, than sure. anything else. Um, and they got, <clears throat> Murdered to a single man remaining. Hmm. And then on your final turn, you managed to kill that guy. Yes, But when Blood Warriors die, they also get to fight back. Hmm. And then that guy, when he fought back, managed to take out the Zephyros. Just the one we'd left. So they actually, they <laughs> cleave each other to pieces. Which meant that there was actually a single survivor of this entire game. <laughs> <laughs> and yep. It was the ridiculous scorpion man <laughs> who
2: had simply run into a corner, fought some dogs, shouted a lot. And then <laughs> opened a the chest and <laughs> exactly. Then happily won the game. Everyone, everyone else was dead. It was a bloodbath. Yeah, exactly.
1: So yeah, it was, which is kind of a testament to the fact that it was relatively balanced, despite being a kind mm-hmm. of mad,
2: kind of mismatch of strange mismatch. units. Yeah, for sure. And I think the from the Stormcast perspective, the story was like the Zephyros. Um, just carving through everything that she fought pretty much until like eventually be taken down by one heroic blood warrior, but just going through a deathbringer going through, like I think she was through a couple of other blood warriors as well. And so she just carved a sway through the battlefield. And that feels to me like a the emergence of a new hero. Like she's yeah. really good at what she does. She really in a vision- very
1: specific rivalry. Yeah. Like I, I'm sort of going to sort of say that I think my deathbringer managed to survive this yeah. battle possibly because she was unable to land a killing blow because she was ultimately taken out even mm. if, yeah you know just swatting down i imagine him crawling out of the corpse pile at the Mm. end of this she's obviously reforged somewhere reforged she'll be fine um but you
2: know but like the crab claw man comes along and like hoists him out of the (laughs) (laughs) and the guy still thinks he's an asshole (laughs) no one likes the crab guy
1: no one likes the crab guy um but the yeah it was really um it was really fun ending mm. and uh so yeah, i i won in the end of 13 points to six because i'd able to hold mm. after that counter-attack managed to like just get a couple of turns in a row of loads of points yeah for sure i think the only thing that you could have done differently would be send a dog to the center sooner mm. if it had been like two dogs versus because i think it was a bit of a wash like three dogs versus one man yeah one crab man
2: yeah was a wash i wasn't expecting to miss with all his axe attacks all the time all the time <laughs> so you should have killed those dogs pretty much a lot quicker i think maybe the way i should have done it was to put the uh put mozephoros and um the secretary into the middle not realizing how much they could kill actually like that mm. and the the, um, the secretary particularly never really got a round of combat in uh, outside of you know fighting the giant boar um but if if they'd have, like, managed to just last a turn, I think they could have cut down a lot of Blood Warriors and kind of changed the maths of the numbers at the central point. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's what I would do differently. And the prosecutor, I basically sacrificed for the first turn. Um, points gain. I, yeah, so it was the first turn points gain, and he neutralised the point for a turn, I think. No, he didn't. Yeah, so I could have used him better. He did neutralise it for... No, he didn't, because I managed to get two charges. No, I should have used him to just hold on to one of the peripheral points and just be a nuisance, basically. Um So, yeah, because he's not very... He's, he's not very tough. He's just a normal storm cast four plus save two wounds and he's not going to kill very much either, even with, uh, as a champion with three attacks because his hammers are a bit rubbish. Yeah. I guess with an 18 inch ranged attack that the prosecutors have, mm-hmm. like he could have
1: hypothetically it poked off a blood crusher. I was somewhere. thinking about that, that like my complete lack of range, like if there had been judicators or like correcting. Yeah. That'd be interesting. In your army, God, that would have yeah. like, cause when I, I didn't know what you were going to bring, I had the theory that the blood crusher's job would be to chase. <laughs> Wizards and ranged guys <laughs> Right, yeah. Like, and just try and get rid of them. Mm. Because it is a big threat to the army that they're quite slow. Yeah. And they have, you know, they have a healthy four up save, two wounds, but
2: mm. you're not, you're not getting any value out of a turn you're getting shot at. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was going to be like efficient about it. I'd have taken a, um, would definitely have taken a, uh, an archer because the champion gets the mega shot. Yeah. And it's only cost five points to upgrade them to be a champion and they, they get the crazy kind of 2d6 hits arrow, uh, that almost always hits. And that would have been pretty bad, because that's Rend 1 as well, so it had been quite bad for heroes pretty much most of your army. Uh, the Bolt Storm, the kind of, the snipers that I've used in Skirmish before, probably a bit too expensive for this, though they would have been ridiculous, like it would have been pretty bad, they'd have taken out a couple of things, I think. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'd have taken some shooting if it was going to be like, I'd have taken a Paladin as well, <laughs> just three wounds, four plus save, and does mortal wounds, and has a big hammer that really, really Rends off like corn stuff. Yeah, yeah. but say so if it depends how you want to build your lists, really. Like if you if you want to, if, I knew I was facing corn, so I knew it would be like loads of armor, but I, I just chose to take a more fun army with dogs in it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it
1: was fun. That's it fun. was
2: fun. Yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And it's fun that we can
1: have a sort of discussion about what did and didn't go right, simply from a kind of positioning point of view, rather yeah. than a sort of like you both had to sort of like extremely cold and hot dice at different points. Like, yeah, I had really good charges and terrible attacks. Mm um you know a couple of times I went, when it went right obviously but that's yeah. how it works but it was it was far more at the end about like um the specific timing of certain moments mm. and, and sort of um
2: where and when to engage which is what it should be about really. yeah it's it's really nice and it also plays really fast like it, it was like an hour and a bit and we were doing some looking up just to refresh ourselves and yeah. we using war scrolls not fam- familiar with it's always adds a bit of length but you really can do a game in an hour if you're bashing it out and you understand the rules. Yeah. Uh, which is lovely. That's a good way to play. Yeah, it was fun. Mm, I enjoyed it a lot. Mm, and almost everyone died. <laughs> <Everywhere>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good sign of a good skirmish battle.
1: Let's wrap up with some questions, shall we? Let's do it. First question comes from Pete Fee on Discord. 21 for 21 questions champion. <laughs> Starting 2019, as we've always been going on hi there i want to try that again because the beer is making me not talk good (laughs) hi there wizardston and senior hammer i'll take it how discerning are you both when it comes to playing games with people in the latter half of 2018 i joined a wargaming club and have played with lots of people who approach the game in a variety of different ways in sorry in very different ways to me this has essentially meant losing to competitive lists a lot I still enjoy playing on a regular basis, but my question for this pod is, do you think it's worth putting in more effort to playing fewer games with people closer to my wavelength, or just enjoy the fact that I'm playing on the reg these days? <laughs> Yours in pod appreciation, Pete slash from Discord, to give him his full title. This is an interesting question. Hmm. Um, so at the moment, I am I'm in a period of sort of enforced, only playing games with people who... Well, like you and, and sort of, and friends for Blackstone and yeah. very rare games of X-Wing. No like regular, regular group of people who yeah. have a set approach to the game. Whereas, you know, I, I kind of do miss the, the era where I play lots of games of X-Wing, say regularly mm. with, with people from all sorts of different mindsets. But I feel like that situation is easier to be in if you yourself are a competitive player. Mm. And I, I think that might be the, the trick to why this is so complicated is that uh, a competitive player who is there to discover different ways to win can basically eat every kind of other player. <laughs> there right. is, Yeah, you can, you can gobble up a narrative player and enjoy the satisfaction <laughs> of winning. Hmm. And you can have a, a chewier battle against another competitive player and learn something about your list and hopefully win as well. Hmm. Whereas if you are a narrative focused player or, or far more casual in, in a different way, then you are food at the middle of that ecosystem and it's kind of difficult to maintain enthusiasm mm. for that. Yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah, it's weird. I've, uh, apart from like a, a one or two tournament experiences, a t- couple of tournament experiences, I've never, I've only ever played within friend groups for a- Age of Sigma at least. Mm. And I've found that to be uh, like, I really enjoy the doubles tournament because there were real stakes. There are, there are real stakes when you're playing in a tournament and yeah. you're playing Gate Strangers and you've got a two hour limit. And that's exciting and stressful. In at the same time, it's like a totally different game at that point. It just feels like a completely different thing. Uh, and it's making decisions under pressure quickly, and like yeah, afterwards going back and seeing what mistakes you made is a really fun analytical process. And actually building the list is a really fun analytical process. So I find competitive gaming to be like has an entirely different, almost long tail. Set fun to it. That's very, very mm. different narrative when it comes to list building and and unpacking what you've done and analysing performance and stuff like that. But in terms of the actual interactions with other humans in that context, like, like they can be brilliant, but they can break both ways, like almost equally. <laughs> like You can have a great time with some people who are competitive and see the game in the same way, and you get a rapport with them, and it's lovely. Uh, at the same time, you can be like argumentative and negative and not at all what the hobby seems like it should be about to me i I primarily approach it as a hobby so taking a hobbyist take on it it just feels more natural to me especially if it's collaborative and storytelling um but yeah it's a really good question i i like having um probably like 90 percent of the games being with people i know and i know have the same kind of attitude as me and then occasionally sort of like going out and doing something a little bit different like a tournament once in a while just to kind of get that other side of things just as a dose i think for a regular gaming group you it helps a lot to be
1: on the same tier as in terms of attitude is the most competitive people in that group Mm. like i i remember when i started getting back into this whole thing and and i started playing x-wing and i the first club i went to um i was definitely more competitively minded than a lot of people there. So I was in that position of being the person that like, I wouldn't necessarily like be, at, well, X-Wing at that time as well was in a kind of sweet spot of balance where it wasn't necessarily even possible to netlist the hell out of it. Right. Um, I, I subsequently look back on that as a bit of a golden age, but it was, it was certainly possible to be trying to figure out the game at like a certain level where you take certain assumptions into account. Mm-hmm. So if you want to say that like one of the weaknesses of, x-wing even x-wing first edition even if it's even at its most balanced was that like certain upgrades were basically stapled to certain pilots and certain ships yes because they worked so well mm-hmm. and so that provided like the competitive baseline for the game like suntier fell the tight interceptor ace always has the, the the talent push the limit because it fits what he does so well mm-hmm. And that would be like a baseline, and you'd figure out squad mates and other builds that built around that, but you would all be building from a similar set of assumptions about what the basic level of efficiency was. And if you played with someone who tried experimenting with something else on that pilot, it would it would be like having a different floor for the game. Right. Like a different kind of, you know, um variability kind of um level for the game to the point where if you, you know, it just wasn't really fun, because it's like you, you you know the the shared set of assumptions are what make the small decisions you make interesting, hmm. and someone else putting themselves at a huge disadvantage doesn't help. And the problem with X wing, that X wing got to is that those uh, choices got narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower until they became, to my mind, infinitesimally small. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I went I went through a period of going from a club where you would play a lot of really random stuff. And it wasn't random in the sense that no thought had gone into it, but it wasn't built from the kind of like commonly understood competitive baseline. And so you can't, create all this weird tension. And then eventually I started going to a different club. Um, basically at the sort of suggestion of a friend, um, and encountered basically players who were much more experienced at the game and I started having a much better time right. because all of my games were sort of on or just above my level. And I really enjoyed like, that was my kind of golden period for X-Wing mm-hmm. personally, because it was like every game was teaching me something and every, I felt like every player was better than me or like, because we were all playing from a similar baseline. What ultimately mattered was individual decisions being made during the game rather than at the list building stage, which is where it really shines. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's a different way of saying the same thing. It's like, you all have to have the same list building attitude so that your game decisions are the thing that matters because if you're going to a club where everyone is building lists with completely different criteria it devalues your in-game decision making hugely because there's just no comparing like a list built because you love this particular story versus a list built because this combo wins most of the time yeah
0: Hmm. Hmm.
2: i feel like that was maybe not an answer but like I, I mean, it comes down to the personality, the person playing, doesn't it? Like, you, if you, if you enjoy being challenged, then a competitive club works. Uh But is it also X wing doesn't really have that narrative dimension in the same way that number no. does necessarily. Like, it can do if you really want to, as as you've done, Chris, like fly list that just because you love the idea of yeah. you know, a certain ace's combination from the films, or whatever. Yeah, and that's a really fun way to approach it but it does feel like you're trying to make your own fun in a context that doesn't really re- reward that. <laughs> Whereas Warhammer is a bit different because you can create context where that's tremendously rewarding.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Warhammer is also a lot looser. That's, the yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think, um I think that's the other thing is that um that's one of the really interesting dimensions of it is that um, the sort of, the way that a win at all costs play style can manifest itself in Warhammer is not just in list building, but also in, the way players might behave or express themselves when Mm. determining things like cover or range or that kind of thing. Mm. Like it's so complicated with Warhammer to be a good player. Mm. Not, not good as in successful, but like good as in good to play against. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a lot of work to be done establishing things like being very clear about what your intentions are, Mm. being clear to understand that your opponent understands ranges and things like that. Like it's a really proactive effort you go to to be fun to play against, mm. even if you are also competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in X-Wing, because the rules of X Wing is of rules of X-Wing are far tighter, but like that kind of um you know play to win mentality is expressed very strongly through list building. Mm. Um it creates a slightly different dynamic. Like, you know, it's there's no winning through finagling movement distances and things in in, in X-Wing because it's very precise. Yeah. But um you can certainly give yourself an advantage from the outset by min-maxing. Hmm. And that creates a very different atmosphere. But yeah, like, um I'm trying to sort of dial this back to, to Pete's original point, which I suspect, like, I think, if, it, you know, the question is ultimately, would it be better to go to playing fewer games with people who are more on the wavelength versus more games that may be lower quality? Hmm. And I think my answer would probably be find ways of finding value in those lower quality games and enjoy the fact that you're getting lots of them. Yeah. Like maybe the answer is ultimately enjoy losing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Hmm. Mm.
2: It's a tricky one though. Cause I'd like, I prefer almost the other one because, um, I know I'm investing a lot of time into a game and it's a transporting stuff to a place and yeah. making something happen. Like I'd have want a guaranteed outcome from that uh, a guaranteed uh, a good social experience from that yeah uh, almost but then i'm I'm just really not used to going to competitive events and stuff and maybe that's something you sort of get used to and enjoy in a different way hmm. yeah i think maybe um
1: having more different sort of i think maybe one, one, one thing to try would be legitimately try building a proper competitive army out of what you've got hmm. like try playing at that tier and see if you enjoy it because you might do and like you know i've always quite enjoyed the feeling of playing against someone who really wants to compete when i am playing competitively Mm -hmm. because then you can almost because it it can be a little bit embarrassing to be the competitive person (laughs) in that environment you know the person who really mean you know what i mean like this like but when you're kind of allowed to just sort of let loose and try and Beat someone who's also as committed to winning as you are—that can be fun as well. So yeah, yeah, sure. It might be worth just play dirty for a bit Time and see if you
2: enjoy it. To field thirty sequiturs
1: indeed. <laughs> the next question comes from Bug from Discord, who writes, "Dear Chris Driver fan and Tom Grot Eater, with the release of Spike Gits with their new abilities and lore, I was curious as to what shenanigans you would see grots being up to. Is to explain their experience in each of the Mortal Realms beyond just why not." Which, with with grots is a valid answer for any question. Many thanks, Bug from Discord. P.S. Should fanatics have four wounds? Uh, P.P.S. I'm very tickled with the idea of there being a smooshed Grot on the Star Drake base, <laughs> especially if Doom Divers are being replaced with the Ragnarok Flingers and not being added as part of the Gloomspite faction. We need to get you one of those like grots that have
2: thrown up or smooshed and put him on the base of the Star Drake. I've got uh, I've got a squished Grot from chimp. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember which kit it was. It might be the Gargant kit, but yeah, they, I've got a smooch grot that is going on the base of the Stardrake, so I've just got to glue him there and paint him up. Mm. Uh, and that, that will be a, a reminder forever of that spectacular that final moments of our, was a uh, very good final moment. our entire campaign. Should fanatics have four wounds? Well, oh, I don't know about the rules. I need to look at
1: the rules. I need to look at the rules, at the win- rules but the Seems point excessive. is that, like, as we've discussed, a dog in Age of Sigmar has three wounds mm, true. versus a god-reforged
2: Mega Man has two. Yeah. So the amount of wounds something has, <laughs> But imagine if they took so many mind-altering mushrooms that they, that, that they just didn't feel, they don't feel pain. They like can, Keith Richards. Like Keith Richards. He, he <laughs> could lose several arms. How many wounds does Keith Richards have? Oh, uh, about, th- th- uh, how much does Nagash have? <laughs> 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 the equivalent. Closer than 14. Lord of the I dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, he looks more and more like Nagash as the years he go. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's a lot more chilled out.
1: Like I, I feel like yeah, Keith Richards true. would forgive you far sooner than Nagash would. Yes, you're right, he wouldn't hold a grudge forever, would he? Yeah. About like
2: those souls you stole.
1: Yeah, he has I don't think he has any claim to like some sort of like cosmic balance that is uniquely his. I think mm. he's mostly just getting on with it. Which is a how good he's time. lived this long. Yeah. Um so the question is, what shenanigans you expect to see Grotz getting up to to explain their appearance in each of the mortal realms? Which is kind of interesting question yeah what's their drive I, i'm not sure i need so to read the book so the the law is they are following the moon oh, okay yeah so the moon so the the mad moon is like a kind of extra planar entity that appears in all of the mortal realms so it kind of passes between all of them and they follow it but for different reasons so like the spider fan grots believe that it's a big egg that will eventually give birth to infinite spiders oh god <laughs> god that'll be a bad outcome <laughs> yeah um and so on um I don't know. I don't remember all the exact details because I don't have the book, but yeah. So, I mean, th- them following the moon is the reason for them to show up more or less anywhere. Well, but that, there's lots of cool work. ideas for like why they might throw up, throw up? They throw up as well. <laughs>
2: they do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so Corcus Cole from the original Starter set of Age of Sigmar, his current sort of situation is that he's in his own, a moon of his own making. Yeah, That's full of also, uh, Seraphon but, uh, <laughs> now, because the Seraphon love to fight demons. Uh, and so, like that, so you could invent a, a, a um, you some gits who just follow Cougars Cole's moon thinking that that is the bad moon. Yeah. Like there, there are so many reasons why like any sort of sky based phenomenon that might look moon like or any vision they might have seen might have, could drag them into any realm for any yeah. reason, which is uh, yeah great. Like you could invent any old reason for them to be somewhere. You could have realm of fire grots that were very into like particularly spicy mushrooms. <laughs> they love it. They love yeah. the heat and the fire of it. given mm-hmm. them their favorite visions. Realm of life grots that are after them. Big, big Whoa, mushrooms. Yeah. The hay. That's where they're good. The good stuff is, yeah. and the like, you know, the realm of, of life. life, yeah, absolutely, That's yeah, the best this is floor. excellent salvia, <laughs> top salvia, yeah, you <laughs> can really think about their ancestry and the people they've wronged throughout their lives, yeah, You you, you hail in deep
1: in the realm of life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, the realm of death, death is a bit trickier, but you know, mm, why would goblins go to the
1: realm by well, grots, Sorry, go to the realm of death.
2: It's moon heavy a lot of the time. There's a lot of you know fancy rocks in the realm of death nagashi's whole plan is based on the fact that a lot of the dust and the kind of the stones mm. of that realm have innate power and it feels like grots might kind of enjoy uh collecting that building sculptures out of that but i'm not sure but it's, it's not very moon-based Can't yeah say. there's no really kind of a element like i mean there's there's a lot of maybe interesting mushrooms grow out of corpses yeah oh a kind of Oh. Like corpse fungus kind of. Oh yeah, like a kind of, uh, oh, what's the, there's a specific, uh, type of mushroom that grows out of insect bodies mm. as a result of parasites, that kind of thing. Oh, what's it called? I can't remember. Streps is something. Yeah, yeah, that, um, that, that could be a horrible thing to base your, <laughs> uh, new grot army around. <laughs> it's a pretty dark one, but yeah, but yeah, who knows. I have to think, so what we left? metal, a kind of tricky one. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, metal is tricky actually.
1: There's sort of more and more metal. There's more heavily armoured grots and and fanatics and things now in the new set. But you could do like a like a hardy sort of
2: form of like metallic squig, like sort of living lumps of Mm ore come to life. Mm. Well, they, they, you know. uh, a Grok clan that loves to armour up their squigs, so they just sort of mm. like fuse armour Barding. To their, their, yeah, as yeah, barding, and just kind of fuse stuff to squigs, and that's how, that's why they're there. And maybe mm. with one day they'll go and, like, they just, as soon as they've armoured up their squigs and made them powerful, they'll go back into the realm of life and chase a moon or something. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And some sh- so I think okay. that leaves us with this light and shadow, which. Uh, could they even get in? They can't, could they even get into the realm of light? We don't know much about the realm of light. I think people are in there. Like, mm.
1: the. <laughs> Hopefully. So the realm of light is all symmetry and kind of symbolism and lasers, and, and lasers, mm-hmm. and the realm of shadow is all mystery and illusion and mist and
2: and mm. so on. A grot, a grot's uh, love of visions would mm. uh, predisposed towards the realm of shadow. That they would enjoy the. It could be just a a trick of the lights that gives one shaman a particular dream and the, uh, the a desire to go to the realm of shadow and try just drags yeah. his whole clan with him. You know, there are ways. I think I think rave goblins from the realm of light an army <laughs> yeah. that should happen warm <laughs> this has the best Mirables of yeah. all of the mortal realms so this is where yeah, we go exactly like, Mirable is a moon worship it <laughs>
1: <laughs> worship this worship this shiny beautiful moon good I think we definitely got to the bottom of that mm-hmm. but oh man there's so many good themed armies you could do No, I want there goblins. are actually yeah. now I want goblins uh, Richard writes to Arkreson Everthurston and Tomril Shenya heart mm. <laughs> also pretty good mm. Thanks for the many months of great podcasts. I won't say you're solely responsible for my starting to get back into GW and wargaming, but you certainly haven't helped. (laughs) Now to my question. Which Primark would be most helpful in making the most of a sale at Primark? (laughs) Some criteria to get you rolling might be dealing with the crowds without making a scene, fashion sense, and an eye for a bargain. What would each of them get?
2: Keep up the warring slash trickery slash mutation slash hammering. Richard. Oh, if you've read any of the Horus Heresy... um novels particularly the first one or two the way that space marines deal with crowds extremely is extremely bad they've <laughs> yeah. zero chill I I, susp- I I think Horace mm. would actually be
1: the best at dealing with mm. a crowd
2: cuz he, he's he your big reasonable them. bald dad bring them on side
1: yeah he's they, very
2: charming these pants are very cheap but you don't need them just right yet please form an e- e- orderly queue in the name yeah. of the emperor please <laughs> yeah but i don't think he would buy anything for himself i think he's too proud for that no no, he wouldn't. He's got his, like, Mastercrafted power armor and all that. Yeah. Um I don't know,
1: like, I mean, the better question is, like, which of them would buy something? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I think maybe uh, Roboute Gilliman would feel compelled by the kind of contract of simply having entered a Primark to leave having bought something. Just out of sheer... a sort of obligation, obligation to the kind of structures of that environment. Also, I think that... Um, but he would be sort of, like, shunting the crowd
2: out of the way with his honor guard <laughs> yeah they 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 would not live um but he w- might acquire some cheap pants also i feel like robuse particularly is the, the sort of guy who would wear exactly the same brand of pants every day and require a lot of them yeah just to sort of cycle through uh, and, and just like a sort of certainty of you know regimented yeah uh, so
1: therefore he might not buy pants there at all
2: yeah like he might get some like an umbrella because it's raining outside and that's practical yeah as a, a kind of gesture mm. whereas primark is like ever cycling stock i think would uh disturb him deeply and be almost a sign of chaos perhaps that you know what what is this yeah ever cycling? i can't
1: imagine i can't imagine most of them finding much value you know sanguineous is too fancy uh no, the lion is too secretive i think to mm. ultimately shop at primark he's definitely shopping a hot topic or equivalent um those um i think I don't. I think. I suspect that Liman Ross does not care about his
2: pants at all to no. the extent that he would buy them anywhere. Well, I think if he that, even wears them, that's true. I've wrote, you've got Regal Dawn of the Imperial Fists, and, and maybe some really uncomfortable underwear is kind of his thing. The pain, the, 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 the other like a, pain, glove. Just the itchiest undervest and underwear that he could possibly find in Primark, but
1: they're so normal in Primark, like they're not especially uncomfortable. It's just
2: ordinary, right? Yeah, but right. It's, it's a combination of that, and there's a combination of like a weird combination of you know Hawaiian shirts and then r- completely random t-shirts from mm. arbitrary stock they've picked up somewhere and it's it's chaos chaos loves that shit like chaos shops at Primark. so which of the chaos Primarks do you think i think i think that's what the we've got to go primarks, to primarks, yeah so for example like Angron is it's just he would be, he basically wants to be naked but he has to have armor on so he doesn't bother with clothes he really doesn't care about wearing. i'm not going to vouch his crowd management skills and also that yeah he would be terrible at that but of the of the chaos primarchs i think i think they would shop a primarch i think fulgrim's two veins shop a primarch yes totally
1: yeah um I, mean, also, I don't i think do they sell like a tunic that would go over your massive nipple armor because if not magnus has got nowhere to go
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh i think it's it's not a bad shout for magnus i can imagine him in a kind of weird kind of dragon print old school kind of uh, <laughs> sad
1: uh, magnus sad for magnus. his days off where yeah, like, yeah right i've fallen out with Armin again
2: i'm going to watch this he doesn't listen to me at all gotta watch this box set on netflix and where my. i <laughs> i just want just to watch down. the unbreakable kimmy schmidt and be sad is that so <laughs> wrong <laughs> but also colorful at the same time <laughs> yeah so there's kind of you know there's all kind of hippie print the kind of hippie print stuff on, mm, on, yeah okay it, fine. yeah magnus he- could buy those i suppose and i
1: think magnus would be quite good at crowd management because you'd never know he was there. Right. Yeah. Like he would just sort of materialize at the till, yeah, and then vanish again
2: and then at all forget he was there. Yeah. And if in a you know an hour of need he could just sort of try and make himself look like a rack of crap jackets. Escape <laughs> <and a skate> notice. <laughs> <Lotus. laughs> Even though he's a giant with one eye. Yeah. Um yeah.
1: Um yeah, I can see a case for like um like corax Corax sort of just sort of discreetly making his
2: way. He's so much on the God. sly, on yeah. the sly. Yeah, just getting. Yeah, something with a skull on it. That he'd probably steal all of the clothes he gets from Primark. He'd, so, he'd, he'd shoplift the. Yeah, he'd shoplift.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Primark for sure. Arrested for shoplifting. Um. Yeah, I don't think there's a case for necessarily like Petarabo or Ferris Manus necessarily. No, I don't think Manus would. The, 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 he buys all his clothes yeah. at Halford's. <laughs> <laughs> he wears bikes. Yeah, exactly. Wraps them around himself. It's a bike now. I'm warm now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, trying to think who else. What are the Chaos Primarchs we got? It was I mean, it'd be the perfect place to it's buy clothes himself. if you're Alpharius because yeah.
2: yeah, you look same as everyone else. As ev- everyone else, yeah. Yeah, Alfarius would be there. Maybe uh, Alfarius is the best answer. To this, yeah, not a big scene, but he'd, he'd he'd appreciate the the wares. Yeah, he's also the person behind the till. <laughs> <laughs> Does I all <howl> along? <laughs> I've sold
1: myself this four pound packet the three socks. <laughs> uh, not to dump on Brian Mike. No, I mean it's extremely useful right. place to useful buy history. white <laughs> t shirts. Yeah, yeah. Next up, Alistair writes, "Dear Mr. Azurite and Mr. Feathers." <laughs> okay, cool. If time and money were no object, what full army conversion project would you undertake? Erudite Zangor Free Guild? Gene Skaven Cults? What is your mad dream army? Thanks for keeping on podding the mortal realms.
2: Alistair. Mm. Ooh, it's a good question. It's a very good question. It is. The Gene Dealer Cult kits are designed to be really switchable with Mm. other parts of the Warhammer range. And you could actually do a very good... Uh, do you see the Colts, uh, Mechanicus mashup? I think. Yeah. Um, lots of scope there. Mm. I'm trying to challenge myself to
1: think of an AOS thing because I feel right. like that's harder, actually me? harder. Mm. Like, um, my friend Jay, who's the mm. manager of games, mm. Workshop in Bath has a really cool free guild realm of metal <coughs> army, mm. uh, which is most a uh, half Mechanicus stuff and it works really well in AOS. Mm. Um, like storm cast bodies with pistols for hands. Incredible, incredible beer knocking skill there, Tom. It's gone under your chair. It's the other way. Enjoy this podcast, listeners, as we narrate Tom finding an empty beer can Picked live. It. We found it. All good. That sounds awesome. Um, I think. Hmm. What What's missing that I would
2: love to see? You could you could do some good, um, mechanicus caradron. Stuff mm. with the kind of me- mechanical arms and stuff like that. I think you could you could buff up some heroes with those with those extras. I think there's loads. loads of stuff mm. to
1: be done with, like um, there's an idea I had for ages, which is I'd love to do like I don't know necessarily a flesh eater courts thing, but a death thing, which would be like full death, but mostly bretonians But there would have to be almost new new loads of original sculpting mm, sculpt. work yeah the idea being like some kind of like wild hunt but dead kind <laughs> cool. of scenario right. like yeah. the sort of nightly order ghostly knightly order riding mm. to battle but with all of that kind of bretonian regalia like the arthurian stuff
2: yeah i really wanted to co- convert um some drukari uh vessels into a stormcast chariot flying mm. chariot or, or so a chariot where the the kind of the, the chariot itself would, could be made of old dark health uh, chariot bits or maybe you need like true bits as well um and the chariot itself would be held off by two prosecutors uh holding chains and just kind of flying above it mm. and it'd be pulled by dracarths or something mm. like four of them that's really cool and it would be absolutely absurd and just quite in fitting with uh, the stormcast kind of mm. angelic i don't know kind of angelic something that you'd come out of the sky and just wreck an entire chaos army by itself would be just the most ostentatious way of doing it that sounds really cool yeah i thought about it too much <laughs> i think actually
1: vampires vampire counts for me mm. like because the Bud knight kit is disproportionately expensive and, and old right but i i fucking love vampire counts and mm, i wish they were agree. more viable as an army by themselves like absolutely without skeletons as infantry that kind of thing like, yeah yeah i
2: think converting up a full army of vampire foot soldiers and things would, that would be rad Ah, oh, Chimp did a really good, uh, has converted a really nice, um, dragon. Are they br- dragon knights? Blood knights? Blood knights. Blood knights. Yeah. He, he's converted a really nice unit of blood knights from, I can't remember the bits he's used, but it's super, super nice. And yeah, the, those kits are absurd. Like the old, the original yeah. are really ridiculous.
1: I remember when, I think it was this time last year, I was really, ho- like, mm. really hoping they would bring them back and mm. they haven't. So yeah. Mm. Mm. Next question comes from Kingsley, who writes, the recent 40k box games seem to be developing the types of characters that have existed in the margins of the lore for decades but don't fit into a traditional army. What types of character would you like to see brought to the table in a future AOS, Warhammer quest, or Kill Team equivalent? Personally, I'd like to see the old-school vampire counts reimagined for the villain role, though I'm not sure if that fits with the current lore. Cheers, Kingsley. So, obviously, touching what he does, Totally does. Yeah, like, I feel like this is a really interesting question because... I think 40k and AOS have opposite problems in some ways mm. where 40k has abundant sort of large armies that are almost unfathomably large, like Tyranids or mm. ne- Necrons or Tau or things like that, um, but also that have the effect of pushing a lot of marginal stuff to the margins so that it can't really be featured anywhere else that's kept out of a specialist game. Mm -hmm. So rogue traders and things, the, the scale of a 40 K army is now so kind of big that it doesn't make sense to bring them into the main game. No, but they, this is the perfect space for them. But actually AOS still has so much room for major factions. Yeah. That it's harder to do marginal stuff because you can imagine all of the marginal stuff you'd ever want. But what we need is, is more like here are the pillars. Here are the big factions that are contending. Yeah. And we have plenty
2: of them, but it's, there's so much space for more. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some, there's increasingly some room. The, the, Almost <clears throat> these, this stuff comes from the novels and from, um, it used to come from comics and stuff where like it's the war bands and the kind of criminal uh, elements that exist in order cities mm. could themselves be spun out into, you know, new, new stuff. And they feature in stuff like Spirit Shadows has some good incidental off just gangster characters who turn up and they could be they could be in a, a box game eventually you know uh, and I think a lot of people who are writing this fiction are putting hooks in for future things you know uh, a, a sort of three paragraph character interaction could one day become a box game mm. in any of yeah, 40k yeah. or AOS's settings uh, but AOS just hasn't had as many books and setting sort of like scene setting opportunities as 40k has mm. and a, a tiny tiny fraction in fact of what 40k has had so yeah there's there's more to be done with um AOS stuff but yeah you're right like uh, surely DW concentrating on filling out all the main armies first before they start like really bringing up the, those those mm. ideas that said I think in some ways
1: maybe because of the scale of the power of those main armies that are being introduced it makes more sense for things like free guild or mm. like regular humans regular Sigmarite worshippers yeah. Yeah, to be at that level that power level of like skirmish game or, or yeah. board game rather than being armies mm. you know maybe that's the position it's arrived at where like you know, a regular army of just, I'm a normal human, doesn't really have a lot to offer in a game that has magically enhanced mega people everywhere. Yeah, they can't be expected to do anything. So it'd be a nice way for them to dig into that stuff a little mm. bit more, like, you know, sort of, you know, weaponsmiths and, you know, gunmasters and, and all these sort of different characters that kind of exist at the fringes of Age of Sigma. The Order of Vizier, for example, who mm. feature in the books. Yeah. As the kind of the new witch hunters. Yeah. That'd be a really
2: cool thing to see embodied in those those games. That's really true. Like, the old conception of uh, fanatics uh, have a different context now mm. in aos and so you could have some interesting fanatic characters um and yeah chaos cults as well are in almost every story of uh, yeah. aos and there are characters and kind of cult leaders and a kind of um seedler le cults type thing but for chaos in the aos could work as well like mm. uh, but yeah yeah it's, it's, it's in development isn't it it's sort of to be seen what gets done with that layer of um characters and new stuff
0: mm.
1: A final question comes from Stephen, or Steve, who writes, "Dear Chris and Tom, if you were a Blackstone Fortress hero or an Underworlds fighter, Hmm. what would your inspire condition
2: be?" (laughs) That's a very good question.
1: (laughs) Cheers, Steve. Um, Three and a half ales. I was going to (laughs) suggest. Sorry, I think mine might be the knowledge that the thing I haven't done yet is due tomorrow. (laughs) yeah deadline yeah a deadline deadline anxiety yeah flip that card yeah exactly like the game ends in one round flip the card yeah nice um hobnobs that's another suggestion uh for me personally yeah um my inspire condition being okay uh, i suppose the other way of framing this is like what's the thing that you can achieve that flips the card over Mm. for the rest of the session
2: so like in an inspire state uh i mean the word inspire is good for this like for some of them it's about flying into a rage for some of them it's about um i don't know like getting into the zone maybe yeah becoming suddenly proficient at what you're really mm-hmm. good at already uh so like you're just getting into the zone maybe just uh a, a piece of like music that helps yeah, me yeah. work and the drop happening and then be like oh yeah 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 An hour into it no it's just like headshot 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 <laughs>
1: um hmm, yeah above two and a half points um hmm yeah i think it's something to do with uh i think making like an excellent pun just a yeah and being able to dine
2: out on it for a while <laughs> that would be that'd be that's yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah yeah that's a good mm. one mm. yeah i dig that um yeah, so uh, are we think, are talking about inspired states in a combat scenario in a war? I think course, I think it's a broad like... competence scenario. Okay, think, yeah, right. you know,
1: because I don't think I don't think what, well, we can answer the question. What is your inspired state <laughs> in physical combat?
2: Tom? <laughs> um, <laughs> someone from the side, a rando from the sidelines, yelling, <laughs> "You could do it, probably." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I no, can. mine, mine would absolutely be
1: people chanting on a roof <laughs> Chris, in, in, Chris, in, the, in the manner Chris. of the in the manner of the ending of sonic adventure One.
2: <laughs> yeah man i'm so pumped <laughs> exactly let's do this
1: yeah like uh, some kind of wrestling entrance would probably be mine That's like i could one. be easily devalued by <laughs> having someone subvert or cancel my wrestling
2: entrance yeah someone runs in and closes on you oh no What's the yeah in fact inspired? it's a sufficiently well
1: scheduled um plan for a given event would be mm. sufficient for me to <laughs> yeah like Ooh, if, if you stretchy. could tell me i know exactly what card we're going to play for the next three turns i inspire immediately yeah there
2: you go foresight yeah very useful um no plan at all whatever the opposite of inspired is that's <laughs> what i am now yeah imagine if the, it, these you know characters had an uninspired state where something really bad happens or they really <laughs> fuck really up, they'd just like, get terrible <laughs> <laughs> they become awful yeah. <laughs> that'd be great that'd be actually quite a nice idea yeah because mine that that
1: for me would be like a too heavy lunch <laughs> right But like you've had a very y- you've had like a very carby
2: lunch yep. time to go asleep time for metabolism to yeah. divert blood from brain yeah exactly i'm idiot now
1: <laughs> mm. good that is all the questions we have time for, for this episode of miniatures monthly hmm. if you'd like to send us a question for future for, sorry for a future episode you can email us miniatures at com. You can also tweet us at Minis Monthly. Incredible. You can uh, find us on Twitter at that very same address. Hmm. Um, you can find us as individuals for miniatures purposes on Instagram predominantly. Yeah. Um, I'm at Exit Warp. That's
2: E-X-I-T-W-A-R-P. I'm at uh, Ludo Paints Minis, which is L-U-D-O Paints Minis. Lovely. Hmm. Hmm. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for
1: listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.
0: See ya.